It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Monday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. And today we are at Shari Tzedek Medical Center 
in Jerusalem. And uh, we thank the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, who have um, arranged for us to be here on this uh, amazing day in Yerushalayim. Really beautiful weather, an incredible day, and you're hearing us live, absolutely 100% live, from what now is being known as the NSN, Nahum Single Network Space, uh, in the, um, I don't know, commercial area. I'm kind of trying to figure out exactly how to refer to it. I'm wondering where our sign is. <laughs> I said we should put up a big sign. I was sign. waiting for a plaque. Maybe after we finish, they're going to be putting it up. At, uh, they'll wait for the next visit. Do I want a plaque first, or do I want a parking space? That's a good parking question. Space. Yeah. Does Professor Marin get a parking space? Parking Oh, wins. he does not. Parking Don't bring that up in 20 minutes. He's probably one of those director generals who bicycles to work. Yeah. You know? I would assume he's one of those. He is one of those. Anyway, so a little bit of the uh, genesis of this. Um, good of morning. This. Good morning to you. How are you? Uh, thank God you're sounding much better. Yes. Ironically enough, somebody just texted me, um, hope you had a safe flight back. Uh, she assumed I was already back. I said, I'm actually at Shari Tzedek. And she said, oh, no. I'm like, no, no, no. That's funny. Doing a show. <laughs> doing funny. a show. To, and uh, Stephen just responded. He's like, maybe stay away from sick people. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. May not be the best Pro envi- tip. May not be the best environment for you. Exactly. Anyway, so um, the genesis of this journey to Shari Tzedek Medical Center is that uh, uh, many people knew and were aware of the fact that we had set aside these few days between Thursday and Monday to broadcast from Israel. Uh, you know, our friends at World Mizrahi were a big impetus for that. Right. And, and, and the debate that's going on in Jerusalem about our being placed Ooh. in the Mizrahi slate of, uh, of candidates is very interesting. We'll do that we'll a different We'll do that time. later, right? So, um, We're on the short list. And then, of course, the, uh, uh, the program we did Friday with our friends from Koran Publishers. Right. And we had the opportunity Friday uh, to speak with the Director General, the outgoing Director General, or longtime Director General of Shari Tzedek Medical Center, of course, Professor Yonatan Halevi. This has to be Dr. Farkas, by the way. Am I right? Yes, because had a, we're not going to do this interview yet, obviously. But Audrey had said Dr. Farkas looked very young. There you go. There you go. So Yes, Professor Halevi's interview. So his interview was amazing You were phenomenal well, during you, that interview. I, I usually don't, you I know. I thought he did all right. He was also, he's got, he's <laughs> got, uh, he's got some skills. And then, um, and then today... Uh, you'll recall when we were with the Rachel Wolf in New York post, it was post the dinner, right? Post the Shire City dinner, I believe. Yes. Or right before, right around that time. And we had mentioned that we had set aside these days to be in Israel. And uh, it had come up that this was a, you know, a, a day that uh, we were considering different things to do. We, we were thinking of going up north. We were thinking of, of different proposals that we had been given in terms of where to uh, broadcast from. Mm-hmm. And then she said, you know what? It's time for a return visit to Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Yep. So sure enough, thank you, Rachel Wolf. Thank you, the American Committee of Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, based, of course, in New York, because so many people, Baruch Hashem, from outside of Israel, especially in the New York, New Jersey area, are big supporters of Shari Tzedek. It's something that Professor Alevi and I discussed on Friday. And uh, here we are. And, of course, Audrey Gross got the assignment to deal with us, which is always a... It's always a hoot for her. Once, <laughs> twice, three, shoot. Oh, she, yeah. she, always, she, always, she always circles the calendar right. when she's told that we're coming. Right. <laughs> She'll circle the she date. She holds her breath until we leave. Exactly. She'll circle the date and await us anxiously. Sure. Uh, so thank you, Audrey. And uh, she helped put together an amazing lineup. Every time we're here, we get to meet some fabulous doctors and wonderful personnel and really get briefed on some of the things that are happening here in Israel. This, though, this may be our most potent lineup ever in terms of guests who we have uh, and the people we're going to be speaking with. There are certain guests or certain um, clients that we work with regularly. 
and sometimes the content can become repetitive. Here, it is a fresh look annually at what has gone on since the last time we were here, and every single one of these interviews is a new narrative. It's a new angle of the hospital. It's a new interview. It's a new story, and some of the stories that we're able to share with our listeners today are, are so only in Israel, and so remarkably inspiring that there's no way to leave this show, leave this broadcast the same way you came. So there you have it. That's uh, that's a good evaluation of the way this show is going to go with unique personalities and people who are making a big difference here in Israel, as Shari said, it collectively continues to do. There's also a couple of things we should note. Um, there's tremendous work being done in the emergency room area. Mm-hmm. That's one, one important thing. Uh, we know about the cancer center and that ongoing construction. Uh, we know that the um, that there's never enough space here. That Shari right. Tzedek, even, even uh, after they came to this area of Jerusalem where they were told you are now going to be in space in a <laughs> spacious environment uh. you're, where you're going to have spare rooms and you're going to have you know space to work with. Nonetheless, right. nonetheless, that did not last a long time. This sort of works as like a part two, like. Professor Halevi's interview really acted as a precursor to the conversations that are going to take place today about the expansion of the hospital. And when Professor Halevi explained that the top two floors were left open right. for him from by his predecessors, that he should continue to build and expand, I mean, th- that that is being taken to a whole new level since there's a huge pit in the earth next door that they are expanding over into this, what will be an unbelievable ER. And soon, God bless them. That won't be big enough of either. Course. But we're not talking about that. Right. We're not, I, I don't <laughs> think we want to <laughs> overwhelm some people <laughs> on this list now today. We're, now we're focusing on the expansion. Right. Anyway, so there you have it. A big thank you to those who are responsible for our journey and making sure we sound great back in the United States of America and the world, including our own engineer, uh, Yoni Pollock, who's here with us. And, of course, Avrami, Avrami Finkelstein, who's um, uh, monitoring everything from our Israel office. We, mm-hmm. have, we have actually more than one Israel studio at this point. A big thank you, of course, to Egal Siegel, who's always helpful and is uh, extremely helpful when we come here to Israel, and uh, to ZK, our chief engineer, and to all those who pitch in to make sure that our programming goes smoothly. A big thank you to uh, Mark Zamek and to Matis Weingast and everybody um, who are part of this amazing team. You know, I was just getting a cup of coffee at the Angel Bakery that is now located within Shari Tzedek. And between here and there, there are a number of other stores which are, you know, which are phenomenal. I mean, this whole concept of basically like almost like a little respite, a Mm. little break from what you're going through. Come here, have a cup of coffee, come sit, relax, forget about what's going on for a second. For me, it's going to be where exactly I buy my kids all their gifts before I leave here. That's that's a whole other story. Four languages were being spoken. Four different languages. Four different languages were being spoken in the aroma right now. There was English, there was Hebrew, there was Russian, and um, and there was Arabic. Yeah, and we don't focus enough, and this audience does not, the bulk of our audience does not realize enough just how many ethnic groups and people of different backgrounds are being served here right. and serviced here at Shari Tzedek Medical Center. It's a, it's a point we always try to make. I think for people who don't spend enough time in Israel, it's hard for them to relate to it, right. that, they are, that they are so open and so ready and and go ahead and, and, uh, and serve the greater uh, Jerusalem public and, of course, way outside Jerusalem as well, as Dr. Alevi told us, and Professor Alevi told us on Friday. Uh, so, yeah, you're making a good point. You're here at Shari Tzedek for about 60 seconds, and immediately you hear four different languages and people of all different backgrounds who are part of this amazing uh, experience. We've had some unbelievable moments here at Shari Tzedek. We sure have. Audrey can vouch for that, and many others can Audrey's as well. Audrey's still talking to us. 
So, so is Uri. I told you, when Audrey finds out we're coming, she circles the calendar right. and awaits us anxiously. I told you, that's what happens here. And I'm convinced that we're going to, sh- that heaven forbid, we should show up at the ER and they're looking at me and go, you're that paint you're that yeah. paint fight so person, they'll right? They'll recognize you. You go somewhere else. So we've had some amazing moments here at Shari Aesthetic. And one of the things that I, that I was reminded of... Mm-hmm. Speaking of our production here, was I just saw a medical clown, somebody who actually told us he was trained, right. that he went for a medical clown course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that that could be a, a, a tremendous therapy for the kids in this hospital and for others, adults as well. Right. But he, did you hear what he said? He pointed out how it's changed his life. Life-changing that experience. Being, that being a medical clown in a cancer environment, oncology environment, changed his life. And I thought that was interesting because sometimes you forget that the people who are giving are really getting also. Correct. And that's something that you'll find here at Chariot Setting. Shout out also, by the way, to our old friend, Jeremy Wimfeimer, who's hey. here this morning. Not really this morning, this afternoon, because we are live in Chariot Setting. So it is just about 6.14 New York time. But it is 1.14 in the afternoon here. Jeremy responsible for one of the great moments in JMNAM history. Correct. Anybody, remember, anybody remember? I do. Remember this? The Nierbach, you remember? The Nearbach Hot interview. Yeah, correct. Correct. He's responsible for that uh, for that historic interview. Yep. On a day when nobody can get the mayor of Jerusalem. Correct. We were and able to get him. Jeremy <laughs> made sure to make his... <laughs> A, a, a Let's make friend. it as dramatic as possible. We <laughs> tackled near. No, okay. <laughs> it was a day that nobody in the uh, in the uh, in the press world could get the mayor. Correct. And he made sure we had him on. All right, more coming up. We have some special guests, including uh, medical personnel here at Charitetic Medical Center. We're going to be here between now and 9 a.m. Eastern time. Between now and 4 p.m. here in Israel, I encourage everybody to uh, check out Facebook. We will be on Facebook Live later on, facebook.com slash Network. And uh, I certainly encourage you to use the app today for comments because we're live, which means we'll see your comments as they happen. Go to the NSN, Nahum Segal Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. NSN app for Android and iPhone and comment away. More coming up. This is JM in the AM. Stop 
in the AM. It is a Monday morning broadcast, and we are live. Could you imagine? From Israel, from Jerusalem, from Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Big thank you to the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. Uh, we've started off the brand new year of 2020 with a great trip to the Holy Land. And today it wraps up with this three-hour adventure here at Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Dr. Adam Farkas, who's originally from Staten Island, New York. Big shout-out to Staten Island. Uh, is here in um, Ashari Tzedek Medical Center as the uh, angio... I hope I have this pronounced correctly. Angiography? Wow, I did pretty well on that. Angiography Institute Director Vascular Defects Clinic. Dr. Adam Farkas, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. You're in Israel for, uh, you said, uh, since 2012, correct? How, many, how long have you been here at Shari Tzedek Medical Center? I've been at Shari Tzedek now for about six years. Um, Almost I, since when yeah, you got here. Yeah, 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 just about. And could you describe what the specialty of angiography or vascular defects is? Angiography, another word for it is interventional radiology. To make it to make it even simpler, okay. but essentially we we use imaging guidance to perform minimally invasive procedures. Uh, the field has we do almost everything through a pinhole. Um, it's largely plumbing within blood vessels, either opening them up or closing them for bleeding or various other reasons. Uh, the field of interventional radiology is uh, very technology driven. Um, constantly changing and evolving, and it's, it's replaced a lot of traditional surgical operations. Because in the old days, so to speak, uh, they'd have to do real invasive surgery to do what you just described, Correct. right? And that mm -hmm. in itself, there are other things I'm sure as well, but that in itself is a whole different yeah. ballgame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for many things which would require, you know, opening up someone's abdomen, for example, we can do through a pinhole now. Uh, with, uh, you know, and send them home the same day or even an hour later rather than keeping them for a week in the hospital. It's funny because when I think of or hear of vascular problems, I'm thinking of legs. I'm thinking of, mm -hmm. you know, different, uh, <laughs> like you said, plumbing that has to be taken care of in someone's yeah. legs. And yeah. again, in the old days, that was pretty invasive surgery with a long recovery time. Mm -hmm. And now I would guess both of those are much shorter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's, you know, there we, we work in blood vessels throughout the body. Um, um, uh, including the arms and the chest and the abdomen, and there's a whole host of you know host of problems that that can be treated that way, and it's really revolutionized uh, surgery and medicine in many ways. All right, who visits you? Give me give me the typical symptomatic patient. What are they suffering from? What are they feeling? Who who's here approaching you to help them? Okay, so so our field is quite broad actually, um, and and we're mostly doctors, doctors, meaning we get referrals from other doctors within the hospital to help them with problems. Who comes to us primarily? Uh, we can segue into vascular malformations, um, which is sort of my niche practice. And those are largely children, largely babies and children that are born with various problems of their blood vessels. Um, these were problems that traditionally either required open surgery or just could not be treated because um, uh, there was really no good option for them. It's a, it's a relatively new field. Um, uh, there are very few doctors that deal with it. We are a national referral center here in Israel. Uh, we do about about 150 operations per year just for vascular malformations and see about five, 600 patients in our clinic. And the majority of them are as young as you described? Yeah. Yeah, these problems... How do they discover they have a problem? Who's so discovering these problems? So it's usually discovered by their parents or their primary doctors, their pediatricians. They can cause swelling in different parts of the body. Mm. Um, they can cause pain, um, uh, bluish discoloration in the skin. 
um, but mostly pain and swelling is what is what brings it to our attention. So when someone has or a child has a circulation problem, it can be isolated to one small part of the body. If one has a circulation problem, it doesn't affect necessarily the entire system. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. And, and it's very different from adults. These are generally problems that the children are born with, and it's localized to a specific part of the body. Whereas adults, it's a systemic disease, meaning it affects their whole body, right. and it manifests, especially as you said, in the legs, um, can manifest in the heart, in the brain, which can cause a stroke, for example. Um, um, but it's a systemic disease. In children, it's it's localized to one specific body part. Because often people are prescribed or in courage to, I don't know, take something specific or uh, exercise in a specific way to get the blood flowing everywhere. Mm -hmm. That's something that's different from what the, uh, the children might be, uh, might be suffering from. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Adam Farkas is with us, the Angiog Angiography Institute Director of Vascular Defects Clinic here at Shari Tzedek Medical Center uh, in Jerusalem. Um, how long do these procedures take when you, uh, when you have a child in a situation like that? Is it something that can be done relatively quickly and they could be, quote-unquote, back on their feet soon enough? Yeah, so, so there's really, it's a good question, there's really an incredibly wide spectrum. I mean, there, there are children who we do their procedures in 20, 30 minutes, and there are those that sometimes take six, seven hours. Um, and it really depends, you know, on where on the body it is and how extensive it is. Um, is it clots that are sometimes causing this? Yeah, some, sometimes, they're, sometimes they're clots, but it's actually usually the opposite. They're actually too many blood vessels, um, and they're, they're, they grow in a way that they shouldn't have. There are often connections between bl blood vessels that are not supposed to be there. And, and that will cause the pain, the swelling, discoloration. Exactly. exactly. All those symptoms that you described yeah. earlier. Um, so what's so great about working at this hospital? Tell me, what is unique about Shari Tzedek Medical Center? Um, I, I love Shari Tzedek. I came from another institution where I worked for two years. In before, Israel. In Israel, before coming here. And, and I have to say, there's, a, there's really what's special about Shari Tzedek is that it's a tertiary care hospital, meaning we, we see, you know, the most complex, you know, patients as in any other, you know, sort of high level acuity hospital. But there's really a family feel here. You know, the, uh, the, we, we, we all eat in the same lunchroom. We walk in the same hallways and the same staircases. There's really, there's really um, a culture of, of, you know, of congeniality and, and working together. Um, and that's, that's pretty unique. That's pretty unique. That's, that's, you know, medicine, unfortunately, like, like any other field is often, is often, does not live up to its ideals. And, and I think there's a real effort to do that at Charit Sadek. Did you know as a medical student that you would bring your talents to Israel? Um, I did early in my training. Um, I didn't tell my wife till afterwards. Um, that was a that, that was that was a strategic move, um, um, and I kind of told her when it was too late already, you know. Um, but um, er, early in my training, it was about the time of it was about the time of the second intifada. I think that um, is when I really um, is when I really uh, decided that I wanted to come here. And do you get the feeling that this type of work that you're doing here? Uh, is on a different level or in a different, I don't mean the Shari Tzedek atmosphere, I'm saying the Israel atmosphere, different than what you might have been experiencing back in the U.S., even if you were in the same type of position? Not really, not really. From a medical standpoint, you know, we, and, and I trained at, you know, some of some of the real premier places in the States, and I don't, we're, we're not missing anything here in terms of technology and, and knowledge and ability. Um, um, there's a little bit less support, <laughs> um, support staff specifically, but, um, but in general, no, um, we, you know, we practice at, at the highest level here and, and, and I feel like I would be practicing very similarly in the States. Uh, it's funny you call this a relatively new field that you're yeah. in. Yeah. Um, if, if a child or an adult was suffering from this years ago, how, how might they have managed it? Just um, with painkillers and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, they were they were either managed with painkillers or or very debilitating uh, surgery, um, which often wouldn't help. It was just the only thing, um, you know, that was able to be offered to them. 
um, and, and it was, um, with often terrible, terrible results, often worse than the disease itself. So even those surgeries, did, if they had an effect, it was not a lasting effect. It was just a really temporary fix, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Incredible what yeah. you're doing. Dr. Adam Farkas, Angiography Institute, Director of Vascular Defects Clinic here at Charitetic Medical Center, and the bulk of the people you are seeing are children. Pretty amazing. Thank you for being here and a pleasure meeting you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Regards back to Staten Island. Dr. Adam Farkas, who's originally from Staten Island, is now at Charitetic Medical Center here in Jerusalem. We thank the American Committee for Charitetic Medical Center in Jerusalem. It is because of them that we are here experiencing yet another great day at this amazing hospital in the Holy City. More coming up. Leave it right here at JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. at uh, Baruch Levine. We're live at Shari Tzedek Medical Center. I mean seriously live at Shari Tzedek Medical Center because we are in the middle of the hustle and bustle and the incredible energy that this hospital has. It is a very, very positive environment here uh, where people are coming from near and far uh, to be treated, to visit people, to celebrate one of the thousands and thousands of births that go on here every single year. And uh, we're in an area of the hospital that is... Uh, really ha- has been made for the public, not just for the patients, but for the public as well, with all the beautiful stores and shops. The gift shop is lovely. I know that uh, you're, um, you have an affinity for the uh, for the bakery and coffee shop that's hey, right next to hey. us. Hey, they have salads. I don't, think you're <laughs> I don't think you're ashamed to admit it. No, that's true. I'm actually pretty proud, and I've had a couple of barecas already. Well, there you go. I'm just saying. And, um, and again, a big thank you to the American Committee for Shahid Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. I wanted to just note that yesterday was the funeral of Mr. Barry Lieben. Uh, those of you who are regular listeners of this show know that it's no secret that over the years he was the biggest supporter, and I mean in, in, in terms of amounts and commitment, the biggest supporter for us at JM&AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. And we wanted to extend our condolences to the entire Lieben family. We'll be visiting them tomorrow, of course, in New York. And uh, he was a larger-than-life, incredible, dedicated um, um, philanthropist and dedicated friend and somebody who we traveled with in October of 2018 to Jerusalem where he hosted us at the presidential suite to do broadcast at the Inbal Hotel. And the irony that we were here uh, and staying at the Inbal Hotel when all of this happened. So, again, our condolences to the Lieben family. We are here with the American Committee of Shahid Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, sending us to this amazing and incredible facility in the holy city of Yerushalayim. And that is Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Um, we are here in the, uh, in the beautiful and incredible hospital. You may recall that on Friday we had an opportunity to speak 
with the uh, outgoing Director General of the hospital, Professor Halevi, who spent some time with us at the Inbal Hotel this past Friday morning. It is a great pleasure to welcome to this show and to um, thank for his hospitality, his and his staff's hospitality, the Director General of Sharitetic Medical Center, Professor Ofer Merin. And you could watch all this on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. Shalom. What a pleasure to have you on again. Thank you very, very much. So how are things uh, a year later now that uh, you've taken the reins and you've had an opportunity to really experience this position as Director General? Is it the former question? Are we recorded or should I say the real uh, natural answer? We're live. So I'm going so I'm 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 to say. I'm gonna, since we're live, I'm going to encourage you to give <laughs> us the real answer. Okay. <laughs> well, the real answer, I'm happy every day. Is there's no challenges. Everything is flawless going. Um, to run a hospital these days um, is a real challenging uh, position. Um, and it's because of the main issues that we all know. The issues that all the world is facing. The balance between the medicine and the budget issues, the, the, the specific issues of uh, Jerusalem. You know, the population of Jerusalem is increasing, is growing. Right. The population is aging, as in every other uh, place in the world. So there's a challenge. There's challenges of the facility. The facility is large, is growing, but still is not enough in the size as what we would uh, like to have. And again, there's, there's many struggles um, that we all struggle with the technologies that are going forward and our need somehow to continue to run this hospital uh, budget-wise. Uh, but to be honest, it's, it's a very nice position. Um, it's a nice position. You run in parallel many different uh, things from uh, looking at the next generation of healthcare providers, of uh, nurses, of physicians, um, looking of the health needs of the population right. of Jerusalem. I mean, it's a privilege to sit in this chair. And you, you, are leading, you are leading an incredible staff with amazing departments. And as you said, you get to watch a lot of people start here and really come up through the ranks. One thing we did not know, with all the discussions we've had about Shari Tzedek over the years, and we've had a lot, as you know, many of them in this building, we didn't realize in terms of statistics, it's not only the Jerusalem population that is giving you a big challenge. It's the number of people from outside Jerusalem, yep. from really a concentric circle that, that dominates this hospital. It's giving you a challenge as well. People from north, south. I mean, we're talking about you know a very large area of Israel that's taking advantage of your facility. Yeah, there's no question about that. When hospitals are trying to say, you know, this is a service that we are out, outstanding in it. The question is not if the patient from across the street is coming here. One of the main issues is how many patients are coming from the north and from the south, as you are saying. And I would say at least in some of our departments, about 25, maybe 30% of the patients are the population not in the direct catchment area of the hospital. Which to me sounds like yeah. a lot. Yeah. And, uh, so and this and is a certain, you know, if you want to use the term center of excellence, this is the meaning of if 25, 30% of your patients are coming specifically here from far away where they have many hospitals along the way. That's, that's the meaning of that. Now, now, I know we're live and you're, and you're thinking about what to say to the public and not, but l l let me see how honest an answer I can get from you. It's amazing to watch what's going on now with the emergency room. It's incredible to watch, and we see the photographs in New York all the time, what's happening with the cancer center and the eventual building, which is going to be magnificent. Are you getting a lot of cooperation 
from the Jerusalem municipality? Are you getting the necessary cooperation, or is that a big struggle from your position to deal with what's sometimes called bureaucracy? Uh, well, first, I'm honest about everything, <laughs> about whatever I'm, I'm saying. Right, sure. So it's not a political... Uh, I'm not trying to navigate myself into even the politically correct uh, answer. The municipality of Jerusalem, one of the first things that I did in the first weeks that I took the position was to sit with the mayor of uh, Jerusalem and to say I want to agree, as I'm starting my new position, that the responsibility of the health care of the people of Jerusalem is mine and yours as well. Wow. So if our emergency room is embarrassing, or embarrassing right? the way it is full, it's not my problem only. Yes, it is my problem, but it's your problem as well. And, and he was very quick to respond and say, yeah, okay, we're going to trying together change this uh, position and I don't know if you know but one of my first priorities was specifically our emergency room to double its size right so we started um, an initiative about um, three four months ago to double the size of it and the municipality of Jerusalem is going to give us a third of uh, the money of that we need to to increase the size and Hopefully in two years from now when we're going to speak it's going to be really a much larger emergency room and it's not only the size you need to work a lot of the processes about the staff members and, again, the, the facility itself. So you have to. Well, it does, it does sound like they're cooperating. And what's also amazing, and I guess most hospitals go through this, but, again, we have an opportunity with you to see this on the front lines. All of this is, that's happening is going to happen as the emergency room continues to function 24 hours a day, yep. seven days a week. How challenging is that? Um, I mean, yeah, it, it is challenging, but we're, we, we are going to put it in a few steps. We're right. going to have the first step of this already um, finished within about three, four months. We started it, so it's going to be step step by step. So we're going to build, we're going to move patients over there and so on. The brain syndrome from this point is going to, uh, will not feel this. Uh, this and I assume the staff, knowing what the final result will be in two years, is, is demonstrating patience because they also want to see a magnificent facility. There's no question. You know, staff members um, are willing to work hard, are willing to work in, in standards which, which are not sufficient. If they know that we're aware about it right. and, and we're doing something about it. Right. So not everyone needs to see a result immediately. So, yeah, there's shortage of nurses sometimes. And again, as I'm saying, the facility is not always exactly as we want it to be. And there's shortage of physicians. But if they know that you are sincere by, by bringing this message, we're going to do something about it, and you see that you're doing it, then they are much more patient. Yeah. Professor Ofer Marin with us, Director General here at Charitetic Medical Center. You mentioned that you came in with the mandate of the emergency room, that you knew that that was going to be among your first projects. Has, has there been a department that you've had to concentrate on in the last year that you didn't expect, something that needed to be given some attention that you may not have expected when you first started? Um, I gave, you know, well, there's the medical part and the non-medical part, right. a lot to do with the non-medical part, with the technologies, with our IT department, which is strong, but probably needed more attention than what I planned. Mm. Uh, we need to move forward with our IT uh, systems and so on. Again, we have a good, very good even IT But it's rapidly changing, right? It's rapidly changing, and, and, and we should cope with these uh, changes. From the medical point, um, I guess I'm putting a lot of efforts in the direct medical departments, in the medicine departments. Um, 
And again, this is mainly because what we see in the population, the population is aging. We see more and more elderly patients which are coming and in our facility is not ready enough for that. And, you know, we don't, we don't like to see patients in the corridors. Right. We don't like to see ventilated patients not in the proper unit and not with the proper monitoring. I'm, I'm putting a lot of efforts on this. Wow. Is there a, is, I, I really don't know, so I'm asking you, nationwide in Israel, is there a shortage of doctors and nurses at this point, or are we considering this a pretty stable time for, for staff members in terms of being able to attract them here? Things are improving. Um, I guess it's going to take about a decade for now. Wow. Till it's going to really balance. To uh, level out. The number of physicians per population in Israel is much less than the one in the United States. Um, but we are totally aware that there's not enough medical schools in Israel. Uh, and just this year, there's a new one in Ariel that's going to be opened. So it's, it's going to take about a decade where Israel is going to be able to educate enough physicians. We're not there yet. Professor Marin, you insisted, if I have the story straight, to remain commander of the field hospital unit for the IDF, correct? Yep. And you and I have discussed some of the adventures, and maybe that's the wrong word, but <laughs> some of the very serious situations that you and your team have stepped into around the world. And the only reason I wanted to bring this up when I mentioned Australia uh, before this conversation was I had heard a rumor, this may not even be true, frankly, but I heard a rumor that there was certain equipment that they rejected from other countries. Has it happened very often where Israel and your team has offered help around around the world and literally you were out, outrightly rejected? So I want to start, yes, I'm keeping this position um, just by chance next week, next Sunday, I'm going to go for a week, a, to a full week with my team, with my uh, IDF team. We're going to go to the south of Israel. Wow. So it's going to be an international uh, conference about disasters. There's going to be hundreds of people coming out of Israel and my team, so-called my team, we are preparing a drill for these hundreds of people which are going to come and watch us in the south of Israel next week. Just so to see disaster relief yes. and how it works. So we're going to do it from Sunday to Thursday. We're going to be out somewhere in the field, and people are going to visit us. And, you know, I was speaking just this morning with the management team about the reason why I'm keeping this position. So I'm keeping this position probably, first of all, with the message if the director general is willing to continue and keep his reserve position, it's it's a statement mm -hmm. because there's many, there's about 5,000 employees here in Charet because not everyone is happy to go to the reserves. But if the director general goes to the reserves and sleeps outside in the sleeping bag in the field, then probably everyone can do it. So it's a, it's a social message. It's, it's a public message by the thing that I'm doing it. And I think that my specific position has a national important so that's probably why i'm trying to keep on this position and and it's a great I example guess it's a great yes example. and i think probably god forbid it might serve sharit Sedek if we will confront any local you know, mass casualty right. incident so my understanding about how to run it um about your uh, question specifically um so israel is quite strict when there is a disaster anywhere in the world, we can suggest our uh, experience and our assistance you as long it? we offer our assistance as long as we know that we have good connections. So there was, you know, an earthquake in Iran last year. So obviously, we could not really right. offer our assistance over there. For the countries that con confronted the uh, devastation and disaster, when we offered it, we we usually get the the yes response from them.
a, a 90 yeah. to 100 percent yes, chance you know, that they'll. I, I, you know, you really see that there's no politics in disasters. <laughs> One would hope yeah. not. <laughs> Let's hope it stays that way. Uh, I thank you so much. Oh, I didn't ask you. I must ask you because we keep hearing these devastating statistics about the flu in Israel. And I was not aware that there are as many cases that are be, as are being reported in terms of the flu throughout the country. What can you tell us? I want to be cautious because I don't know the worldwide statistics. Mm. I don't think they're different in Israel than in other places. Um, there's flu shots in Israel right. uh, for almost everyone that wants it. I mean, there's sometimes a short time shortage. But generally speaking, everyone can get a flu uh, shot. Um, as far as I know, our statistics, like it are in other places, people are not aware that around the world there's That's a pandemia. Um, and even and even this in the time U.S., the when we hear the stats, yes. we're shocked yeah. to hear how yeah. big it is, right? Because, you know, what it's usually, I'm cautious to say, it, it's the more elderly and more sick people, you know, that right. these are the ones that are usually more compromised, and, and, and these are the ones that we see. But, yeah, the, the numbers are... <laughs> the numbers are so amazing. One, so one could say the numbers are scary, but they're scary everywhere. Yep. The flu yep. is the flu, and it ends up, uh, unfortunately, affecting a lot of uh, societies around the world on an annual basis. I, I must tell you, I, first of all, I thank you, and I thank you for your hospitality. And I must say, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, as wonderful as your English was, it's a million times better. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I really hope you don't take that the wrong way, but you've obviously been working on your, uh, on your international presentation. Thank you very I much. I hope you take yeah. that as a compliment. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's Thank you very much. Thank you very, very it's much. It's really a pleasure to host you over here. I appreciate that very, very much. More coming up. If you want to see the Facebook Live video, it's facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. That's how you can uh, uh, find us on Facebook. More coming up from the Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem on a Monday live at JM in the AM.
JM and the AM, we're in the special Nahum Siegel Network vestibule here in the Sharitech Medical Center. The number of people walking by here is unbelievable. It's just incredible how many people they are servicing and how many families take advantage of the amazing work here at the Sharitech Medical Center. Um, we're here live on a Monday morning, and I thank the American Committee for Sharitech Medical Center in Jerusalem, Rachel Wolf, and her amazing staff. And of course, I thank everybody here who have been amazing. Uh, it was fantastic having uh, Professor Marin on just a moment ago. If you missed any of it, of course, you could check out our archives. Oh, also, I want to thank Uri Schwartz because he pointed out to me as he rounded the corner to the NSN vestibule that uh, our app is amazing. And I said, yeah, our app is amazing. I can't believe it took you a couple of years to figure that out, Uri. <laughs> but uh, it was really a, a wonderful a wonderful compliment. Uh, Mrs. Estelle uh, Bukatman. That's right. Wow, I got another one right. Baruch Hashem, is the head of the pharmacy here at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. Shalom and welcome to JM in the AM. Hello. Pleasure to speak to you. Okay, you. Uh, you could resolve this for me immediately. In a hospital, is that the pharmacy or no, you that, are working in a different pharmacy. hospital pharmacy? So it's when we walk into a hospital, I'm so glad I asked this question. When we walk into the hospital and we see a pharmacy, that is a standard commercial pharmacy Indeed. and people can get prescriptions sent there That's right. but that is where someone would go as if they would walk into any other pharmacy around jerusalem Indeed. your pharmacy is located i would assume not on this floor it's on the ground floor it's on the ground next floor to the kitchen and that pharmacy i assume began when the hospital began many That's decades right. ago that's right and we service the patients right which means, obviously, if someone is in need of something uh, or is prescribed something by one of the doctors, one of the medical personnel, it goes through your pharmacy and is delivered straight to their room, if essentially. If they're hospitalized. Right? right, if they're hospitalized, right. that's it. Somebody who's doing this, uh, you know, some type of ambulatory surgery, they would be using a regular pharmacy right. to fill their prescriptions. Um, are there other differences between yours and a regular pharmacy out there? Um, in our pharmacy, we also do sterile preparation. So patients that need their nutrition um, in a sterile bag, we make that up for them and we ensure that they get all the nutrients that they need and mm -hmm. the vitamins. Um, we make sterile preparations of antibiotics, um, chemotherapy. We make an individual basis for the patients according to their needs. Um, so when someone comes in for treatments here, uh, and you just mentioned chemotherapy, all, the, all that medication, all those treatments are coming right. from you. We make them up individually in right. separate bags and send them up to the department. Right. So, in fact, it, one does not need to be hospitalized to use your services. They could be coming in for treatments they or for a regular course of something, and they'll be getting that from They you. could be coming into daycare right. and getting their medications made up that way as well. All right, uh, Estelle, I think you know that the highlight that we've been told about the conversation with you <laughs> is a is something or someone that's a non-human being working that's in your right. in your department. <laughs> there's a there's a pharmacological robot that's we roaming the halls. Of he's Sarah not Center. roaming. No he's, roaming. He's huh? very solid <laughs> in one place and he doesn't move Never very moves. far. But, um, when was this installed and how does it work? This was installed about two and a half years ago. It's a dispensing robot. Um, we were the first hospital in Israel to acquire such a robot. Um, it stores about 30,000 packs of drugs and it organizes them according to their expiry date and dispenses them as needed and it helps prevent errors and ensures that the patient's getting the correct drug. So obviously a, a, a person is loading these in at some point, yeah, right? Yeah, there is an automatic loading system as well as a, a person who can load it as well. There's two systems are loading the robot. And uh, I, I assume the number of prescriptions that could be handled or the number of dispenses that could be handled at a specific hour or day is much more with yeah. a system like yeah, this. Yeah, we can do much more. 
Uh, and is that, is that the big savings? Uh, the time and the mm. error potential, those the, are two the things. The two things. <coughs> Excuse me. We also managed to save um, on expiry dates. We have a better... Um, I'm trying to, what does that mean? That we are able that the, to... That the robot will tell you when you should We use can plan ahead of what the expiry dates are and we can sometimes return them to companies and get refunds, but it, it gives us a better idea of what's going on and a better follow-up on expiry right, how dates. How long are you in Shared Setting? I've been working here since 1992. And I guess the pharmacy then... Uh, if you're doing this for over 25 years, would be a good place to see the growth of the hospital. That's indeed. Because in 1992, <laughs> you had a certain number of, I, I assume, hand-dispensed hand yeah. um, uh, medications. Right. We had a much smaller staff because the hospital was much smaller at that stage. It was about half the size it is now. Right, and now you're and at now this point where yeah. you need a robot to help you out. That's right. Um, something that you probably would not need if you had the smaller numbers of years for ago. For sure. For Very sure. interesting, I'll tell you. How large is your staff? Your human staff? My human staff, <laughs> I have about 30, 35 people on my staff. That's what, that's they're not all pharmacists. We have no, about 12 pharmacists. That. We but have that's what's needed in order to make your operation well, run. Well, we do a lot of other things. We do the sterile production, right. and we have a lot of dispensing also that needs to be taken care of. We have somebody doing clinical trials. We have lots of different areas that we're active in. And um, we also have porters who deliver the drugs to the different departments. And we have a warehouse manager. We have a lot of different things going on in the pharmacy. So you have inventory, delivery system, That's you have right. everything. And then we have a clinical side as well. We have clinical pharmacists. Right. It's interesting you say about the trials. That means that that patients who are who are literally being treated with experimental medications, I mm -hmm. guess that would be a, mm -hmm. a way of putting it, right? Yeah. That Those medications are delivered here, and then they are through, through your office. That's right. Or well, they're delivered to the different departments who then deliver them to the patients. Right. Sometimes they're made up in the pharmacy under sterile conditions. If it's an IV medication, sometimes it's uh, an oral medication, and that's delivered out through the different departments who have their own research assistants. Would the list of medications be very different from an American hospital? Mm, probably not. It's all basically probably the not. same. Ninety-five yeah. percent of what you have. It's probably the, very the same pharmacies in Manhattan have yeah, in those hospitals. Yeah, I'd say so. Interesting. Well, I find this fascinating, Mrs. Estelle Bukatman, who's the head of the pharmacy here at Sharitzetic Medical Center in Jerusalem. And it sounds like you've had a very nice 25-plus years here. Indeed. Nice environment to work in? Yeah, love it. Thank you so much for joining us Thank today. Thank you. And in regards to the robot, does the robot have a name? I did once. Uh, someone named him at one we time? We did name the robot at one stage. I have to ask you what the name was. can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> we lost at the beginning and then we can't remember what the name was. Estelle does not remember what the name of the robot was. Now they simply refer to him as the robot. And that's the end of that. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world of web at NachumSiegel.com on the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. We're at Charitetic Medical Center where every time we meet some incredible people, wonderful folks who are leading some very, very interesting departments as they take care of thousands and thousands of people on a daily basis here at the hospital. Thank you to the American Committee of Charitetic Medical Center in Jerusalem, to Rachel Wolf and her entire staff. And uh, we will continue with plenty more coming up if you keep it here at JM.
At Shlomo Katz, of course. We're in Israel, our final day of our broadcast week from Israel here on this Monday, back in our studio tomorrow in Manhattan between 6 and 9 a.m. The app is active because uh, we're live, which means you can comment on the Apple Seed right now. Go to the NSN Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. We'll do Facebook Live again later on, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. And a big thank you, of course, to Rachel Wolf and the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem who sent us on this journey to wrap up our trip by being here at Shari Tzedek on 
this Monday afternoon. Mr. Yogi Rimmel is with us. I thank you very much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. It has been a difficult uh, few weeks, to say the least, for the Rimmel family. Um, many, many people around the world are familiar with the car accident that claimed the lives of both Sippy and Noam. And our condolences, of course. Uh, Thank we, you. We've had an opportunity. You are the father of Ephraim. For those of you looking for context of um, Mr. Yogi Rimmel's visit to our mobile studio here at Shari Tzedek, he's the father of Ephraim and the grandfather of Itai, both of whom continue to recover from that car accident. And as you know, we, we, and we had a very small role, but so many thousands and thousands of people around the world have been praying for your family, have been uh, doing whatever possible in terms of uh, financial support for the family. And uh, not much more I could say other than uh, we are praying for those who are recovering and we are so sorry for your loss. Tell us about the uh, Rimmel family and uh, how you guys are doing. We're doing okay. Uh, Fry and my son uh, went to uh, rehabilitation on Thursday to Telechomir, which we hope is the, uh, the best. It's an amazing place. Right, for rehabilitation. Um, he was obviously uh, at the best hospital in Israel for the first five weeks here at Charitz Edek, and uh, we can't say enough of the care. They saved his life. They saved Itai's life. Uh, they both came into the emergency room. We didn't think that either one of them would uh, survive that night. Itai is uh, now, he's still in intensive care here in the pediatric intensive care unit. He's not out of the woods yet uh, medically, and he's not certainly not out of the woods yet uh, neurologically, which is a serious uh, issue that as everyone says, it will take time to, to see if that really works out or not. And you and your family obviously know the reputation of those departments in this hospital. Exemplary, to say the least. To say the least, and uh, whatever we knew before, we we're certainly uh, uh, witnesses and uh, uh, to uh, the amazing miracles that they did, first with Ephraim, um, with his internal injuries and then with his uh, spinal injuries, and then with Itai, be, as, as I said before, uh, five weeks ago today, on Monday afternoon, the doctor didn't think he would he would live till Tuesday. Wow. Um, uh, Yogi Rimmel is with us here. We are at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. There, there are many reasons why certain stories become the worldwide Jewish community story. First of all, it's obvious from what we learned in the aftermath of the accident that you come from a very prominent family in Chicago, a very robust Jewish community, and anybody having to do with Chicago, felt personally involved in this. I'm sure you felt that, number one, right? My in-laws lived in Chicago, the Scheinfeld family, and they're still my sister-in-laws in Chicago for uh, the, uh, tens of years. But uh, the Chicago community got to know my son and my daughter-in-law because they were, uh, they were in the Kolotormitzion for four years. With Rabbi Brand? With Rabbi Brand, exactly. Um, and they were part of the Jewish community there both part of the Kolel and the Tzipi, my daughter-in-law, Shalom's uh, taught at the Idy Crown Jewish Academy. With, and, uh, oh, so the community really knew them. The community really knew them. It wasn't right. so much that they now knew I us. Get it, right. They really knew the entire community, and they were both in West Rogers Park and in Skokie. Spent uh, many Shabbatot also in Skokie. We still have some family there, but they knew them. There wasn't even... They left their mark on the community. Very Absolutely, they did. They were there for four years, and uh, they came back... Um, Five or six years ago, and there's still every Shabbos there would be kids from that either they had them as teachers or they had them as a chavruta or they had them, uh, and they were still friends and 
to the point that as soon as the accident happened, <clears throat> excuse me, there were people that got on a plane right. from Chicago, came the to next day. Here. And secondly, of course, I don't have to tell you this, and I know how painful it is to hear it, but just to make the point that because of the devastating accident that it was and how it affected in such a terrible way so many family members, obviously anybody who's watching news from Israel uh, took an interest and just felt the collective pain of the Jewish world for a family like yours that was suffering from all of this. The third step was uh, uh, outreach. There were people who, friends of um, uh, your family, that uh, took an active role in just uh, arranging a prayer to heal him to be said, funds to be raised, etc. As I said, we featured one of them on the air, and I, it, it must be to some degree a small comfort knowing that there are so many people praying for the two surviving family members, and in addition to that, people who are willing to do whatever they can to just help the family uh, get back on its feet. We had no idea to what extent uh, people were doing these things. We were really here, certainly for the first uh, three, four days. I, we barely even left the hospital. Uh, today, at the, at the end of the campaign, more than 12,000 people donated to wow. that campaign. Obviously, we, we know a very small percentage of them, uh, both from Chicago but from all over the mm -hmm. world. Um, we don't know what we're uh, facing. We don't know where we're going to be in six months from today or a year from today or six years from today. So that's what, this, uh, this, that's what that was all about. But I think that uh, somewhere because uh, they were young people that had touched so many different people that their, uh, the waves it touched more waves. And it just like when you throw a rock into a, into a pond, you have no idea the ripple effect, how far it goes out. And the immediate community, from what we hear, where your children live, have really come together to try to help the family as much as possible. We live in, in a community of Eitzuf. We made same as your son? Same as my son. We made Aliyah there uh, 30 and a half years ago. Um, we haven't cooked a meal in, <laughs> in five weeks. My in-laws, my in-laws, uh, after the week of Shiva, moved into their house. And I think finally she, my... She finally said stop. She wanted to, you know, do a little right. cooking on her own. Uh, they are taking care of the kids. They are uh, the most important uh, aspect today for the children is to be in their regular environment. So they're going to school and they're going to their after-school uh, activities and whatever. But they're at home and they know what you know what's going to be every day. But the community and and like we've been part of the community for thirty years, and they've stepped up to to. Unbelievable. You can't measure what, they, what they've done. If we judge people by the friends they keep, then your son and daughter-in-law must be incredible people, frankly. Absolutely. There's no, no, there's no better way to keep it, to put it. They have amazing friends. Uh, Mr. Yogi Rimmel, father of Ephraim and grandfather of Itai, and, of course, the uh, father-in-law of Tsippi and grandfather of Noam. I, I appreciate you being here today. You've put a really important voice on, some, on a story that so many people around the world have been uh, listening to and watching very carefully, and I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. Mr. Yogi Rimmel, everybody. You can still help the Rimmel family. I assume the fund I is still, can literally could search Rimmel Fund, correct? Right. That's with one M? Yes. R-I-M-E-L Fund. R-I-M-E-L Fund. The Rimmel family, uh, whatever help you can give, believe you me, as you just heard from Yogi, will be much, much 
appreciated. More coming up. It's JM and the AM on this Monday morning broadcast. I want to remind our friends that Corin is now offering the Talmud reference package for free when you purchase a set of the Noe edition uh, Corin Talmud Bavli. The Talmud reference package includes all necessary tools to enhance your Gemara learning, including Hamafteach, the practical Talmud dictionary, the Gemara card, and Rav Steinzaltz's revised reference guide. The 42-volume set is now available at the introductory price of $1,600 with free shipping from CorinPub.com. Prices are going up because the Siyum has ended. So special for Siyum Ashas, get all of Masechus Brachos for just $30. Corin's offering the Noe edition Corin Talmud Masechus Brachos in color or black and white for just $30. Go to CorinPub.com for details. CorinPub.com for details. More coming up. It's Monday at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, and this is JM in the AM.
JM in the AM. We're live at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. And I want to thank the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. It's always amazing being back here. We're in the NSN, Nahum Single Network vestibule, right here in the uh, commercial slash uh, shopping area of the hospital, where thousands of people continue to come in and out. Professor Michael Schimmel is with us, former director of the uh, NICU unit, the neonatal ICU. I'm a father of preemie triplets, so your, your department always, always rings with me when I speak to someone from your department. He's a senior neonatologist, assistant, and oh, he has a great story, which we're going to tell in a minute here. Professor Michael Schimmel, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you. Nice to speak with you. Not easy uh, directing a NICU unit, right? Um, I grew up in the unit. I, I came to Sharetzedeket in 1976. And I was the first resident of Arthur Edelman when he moved to Israel, and we opened a small unit of four beds in 1978. And the average, um, uh, the average weight of a patient of yours in those days would Much be about, <laughs> about, what, four pounds, three yeah, and a half? Yeah, something like this. And we were still in the old building, right. and we moved here in the end of 78. And... <coughs> I gave up uh, the unit to Alona Binon. How long ago? Uh, half a year half ago. Year ago. A, a unit of uh, 65 beds. Because when we toured your facility a couple of years ago, not only were you gracious in your hospitality, you were involved in a couple of emergencies while we were there, as you know often happens in the NICU unit. When you started, and I'm assuming you were in your 20s, right, 1976, I'm assuming around then. When you started, was it a very difficult task to learn how to deal with small babies on a physical basis as opposed to the ease, comparatively, of dealing with an adult or a bigger child? It was very difficult, but on one hand. On the other hand, I had a great teacher, Arthur Edelman, who right. just moved from Einstein. And then he sent me at 81, he sent me to Columbia Presbyterian for two years, and it was two years in Columbia Presbyterian in New York living in Riverdale, which is a, was a great place. Still and, is. <laughs> and I'm still very friendly with Rabbi Willig, there Rabbi Wise, the, the nieces and everybody together. And they're coming here. I see them. I go there. I am staying with them. In the last hurricane, I was by the nieces. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <coughs> yeah. And uh, it was difficult. But he was smart enough to send me to the best school in the world. So when I came back, I was really... Well organized to to deal with and it. And what was in your repertoire? Was it were, were there surgeries? Were there like what was it that you were expected to do at that time? I mean, emergency C-section for very small preemies. Uh, by the way, I'm maybe the only one in the world that one of my preemies is a senior in our unit. Meaning working in your unit? Meaning working in the unit. Dr. That you helped deliver as a preemie yes, Dr. a few Va years ago. <laughs> Dr. Nitanel Vasatai was born, and he, he allowed me to tell the truth. Wow. He was a 31-weeker baby, yeah. one and a half kilo. And he's one of the seniors, which I love him, and he's a great doctor, and he's a senior in our unit. Unbelievable. I don't think there are many doctors, yeah, yeah. <laughs> neonat I, many neonatologists in the world. That's an Israel-only story. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I mean, nowhere else did I have that. That's pretty yeah. remarkable. Um, at what point, and again, I told you by my background, so I have a little bit of knowledge, coming with a drop of knowledge. 
At what point does the average weight in your department start to drop? Is it the 80s, the 90s, 2000s? Because now, today, in the NICU, you, you would have, if you were up there right now, you would have a baby weighing as little as? One pound. One pound. Did not happen back then. No. Although, yes, I had one case in 2000. I remember exactly in 2000. Uh, 23-weeker baby. One pound? One pound. She was a little bit more than one pound. Ah, with her, it was a wonderful story. She came in, uh, and the, they were twins. One died immediately from uh, infection from the mother. And the other one, they gave her the name Tikva. Hope. Hope. And a few years ago, when she was about 12 years old, she came in to show her face. And she came, it was uh, <laughs> very nice, and Avram Fried was in the building. <laughs> and I said, I'm sure he would love to see her. So I called him up, and he saw the girl, and the girl was very, very shy. And he asked her, what is the one of my songs that you really love? She looked at him and said, Ale Katan. And he stand there and started to sing. Beautiful. By himself, nobody was around. I mean, except all of us mm -hmm. crying <laughs> with tears. It was fantastic. And she is now 18 years old. I saw her <coughs> when they made a party for me. When uh, I left, uh, I saw her. And she uh, was a one-pound baby. She is great. She looks terrific. I got a picture of her. She, she looks terrific. And uh, I, I really really enjoyed every minute what I did. But you see, I mean, I know every doctor in this hospital sees Nisim. Everybody sees miracles here, obviously. But the miracles you see are unique. It's just amazing. You know, yesterday I came up and somebody looked at me and said, are you Professor Shimon? I said, yes. You know, this baby, and he's holding a three-year-old boy, looks great. Just before the Chalake, he said, he's 26-weeker baby. And I mean, when you see such a, such a thing, I mean, th this is what gives you mm. not the salary you're earning, but the nachat ruach and whatever you gain, it, it, it's unbelievable. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, you're familiar with uh, Dr. Asa El Lubotsky, correct? Uh, by the way, he's my son-in-law. You're, you're related <laughs> to him. You have an affinity for him. I you're think related he's related to me. <laughs> <laughs> he's related to you. Good point. Um, and there's a story where you actually helped assist a very special birth. Tell yeah, us about that. From the first one was my eldest uh, daughter-in-law. She came to me and she said, I trust you and I want you to be in my living room when I give birth. And I said in Sharetzetik, there's no problem. You have the cotton, the one side I'm standing. Right. I won't see anything. And from that time, she's now 20 years old in the army, the girl. I attend all all deliveries of my daughters, daughters-in-law, and nieces. Because in my practice, I've seen too many cases that everything can go fantastic, and in one second, there is an emergency. It goes south, right? So I'm not staying in the delivery room. I'm staying outside. Right. I let the couple to be by themselves. Unless but God forbid you're needed. Right. And I walked into my daughter and everything was fine and I decided I go down to drink coffee and then I get a call we are running to the emergency to the C-section room emergency C-section so I had my card so I can go in emergency elevator 
in, a, in one second I was there. Uh, there was a cord prolapse. The cord went down before right. the head and the head pressed on the cord. <laughs> so they did a fantastic, quickly C-section. And I got the baby. She was uh, bradycardic, low heart rate. She didn't breathe. So I begged her and uh, she's terrific. <laughs> <laughs> Simple like this. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it sounds a lot calmer than I think it actually was. But, but I, I like mean, the way you tell the story. No, but, but you know, w- when you as a doctor, when you did thousands of thousands of resuscitation, you you don't think about anything else, you work. Right. And it doesn't make any difference right. who is in front of you. And Th- It could be your granddaughter. It can be my granddaughter. How and old is she now? Uh, she is now uh, seven, months, seven, seven months. Seven months. Seven months. And you know what? With my experience, I prefer I should do the resuscitation and nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> you're actually, you're right. You're the best man <laughs> for the job, as they say, right? Baruch Hashem. <laughs> Baruch Hashem is right. Professor Michael Schimmel, former director of the NICU, the neonatal ICU here at the Shari Tzedek and senior neonatologist. We should note, before I let you go, oh, by the way, we should mention that your son-in-law is a member of the Golani Command. Is that the proper uh, way yeah. to put it? Right. We, yeah. should, we, should, we should mention that. And has, he himself has overcome some amazing challenges. He decided to become a doctor. He was badly wounded. He was one year in Har- Rambam Hospital and in uh, Tel Shomer. And then he decided to become a doctor. And he's a brilliant guy. He's wonderful. He's lovely. And Incredible. I love him. So you have, a lot of, you have a lot of amazing personal pride. But in addition, we should mention that your neonatal ICU is an award-winning uh, neonatal ICU for its cleanliness, which has been noted throughout the entire country, and the drop in infection statistics. I would assume the cleanliness has something to do with that, right? When I left, I took all the statistics that was interesting because we have, through Intel, we have a orga- is some plan to decrease the infection in the units. So all over the country, the infection rate w- went down in the units of 45%. Wow. And in Shari Tzedek, I was extremely proud, in 65%. So, of course, when you leave a place, you are so grateful. So the people who are working with, which are great, uh, doctors, nurses, cleaner, everybody, right. and you're proud that you build up this uh, team, which was such a good team. And that's recognized by the entire country. Baruch Hashem. What a pleasure speaking to you. Pleasure to speak to you, too. I appreciate that. Professor Michael Schimmel, we're here at Shari Tzedek. This time each and every Monday through Thursday, Rabbi David Goldwasser, his words, Zechonishmas Arav Zevin, Rehoshav Alevi, and Zechonishmas Esther Basar, Rehoshav Alevi. And also we should mention Zechonishmas Dov Ben Eliyahu, our wonderful friend Barry Lieben, who unfortunately... Uh, passed away. The funeral took place yesterday, as we mentioned. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We say every day in the Shemona Esrei, raise a banner, gather us from our exiles. Then we go and say, and gather us together as one. The question is asked by the Yalkut Katan, what is the reason that first we say, and then, as if we're asking a second time, we say, and gather us together. He answers by telling us a fascinating chazal that Rashi cites. 
Godol Yom Kibbutz Goliath. How great will the day when all of the exiles will be ingathered. In Hashem, Kilu Atzmo Hashem Yisparach, Tzorech Lios Oches Biyado Mamush, Ish Ish Mimkomo. That Hashem will have to take a hold of every person's hand and walk together with them. As it says in Yeshayo, V'atem selaktu le'echod echod b'nei Yisrael. According to this, we can understand that everybody will continue to add, become tzenu yachad, gather us together, meaning that Hashem, v'atzmo, Hashem in all His glory, will take each of our hands and lead us out of exile. The great Hasidic master, Repinchas of Karetz, once understood how a person's tefillah should be stated. He said that anyone who wishes that his tefillah should be answered should have Eretz Yisrael in mind during his prayers. He should think about the country, the borders, the cities, the hills and the mountains. Whoever does this will surely have his tefillahs answered. So they asked him, how about those who already live in Eretz Yisrael? What should they think of in their tefillos? They should think of all the Jews still living in exile and beg Hashem to soon return his children to their home. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. J.M. in the A.M. on a, uh, what is today, Monday morning, Monday morning broadcast. We are here in Israel, uh, where it's just after uh, 2.30 in the afternoon, 7.30 in the morning in the uh, eastern time zone, where we are normally based. Our final day of our journey, with a big thank you to American Committee of Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, Rachel Wolf and her entire staff. A big thank you to uh, Audrey Gross, who has so far coordinated an amazing an incredible lineup of people. I don't want to put the, uh, I don't want to say anything, but she has hit a lot of home runs already today, to say the least. And we're pretty tough graders, frankly. Uh, so thank you to Audrey. And, oh, I wanted to mention that uh, following our return to New York tomorrow, we have a couple of amazing shows coming up. But don't forget, Wednesday morning, we're going to be concentrating on the Sunday Hask concert. Hask is going to be taking place this Sunday, the 12th of January. Ellie Gerstner and Jeremy Strauss will join us Wednesday. And then Thursday, a dream come true for me when members of the Yeshiva University men's basketball team, the championship basketball team, visit us at JM and the AM. So we will have a, um, a visit with the men's basketball team representatives, some of the players coming up on Thursday this week here at JMNAM. Go to Facebook Live and watch our conversation at facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. Dr. Flores Levy-Kademi is the director of the Pediatric Daycare Unit and the Division of Pediatric Endocrinology here at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. Shalom and Shalom. welcome. Thank you. Nice to speak with you. Where are you from originally? Iran. Are you really? <laughs> really. So now you got to give me a brief history. <laughs> okay. You leave Iran at what age about? 21, in wow. the middle of the medical school. 
So you start medical school in Iran. Yes, in Tehran University. In Tehran University. And then it, it's, and it, it's a convenient time to leave or no, a no. necessary time to leave? How would you describe well, it? Well, my mother and brothers are still there. But um, it was a time if I stayed in Iran, I had to sign for the government to go to the periphery of Iran and uh, give a service for seven years. So they didn't want me to go there. And that was the last moment to leave and so did i you, left and did you leave through regular um yes. uh, with, with permission regular i came to turkey and from there to israel we they don't know i'm in israel but i came where do they assume you are at this point uh i disappeared <laughs> they <laughs> have no I, you have no they identity they didn't look for it but i think if they want to look for it they will understand right. it so yes. your family there is not really in danger for that reason they're just no they're no, right. it's 30 years. Right, it's 30 now. years later. Right. My gosh. Uh, when did you get to Sharet Tzedek? Ten years ago. And what has that experience been like so far? Uh, a very nice one. I finished my fellowship in endocrinology. Right. And um, in Sharet Tzedek, in the pediatric ward, we didn't have an endocrinology unit. And we, we, we are, we were, they were having a lot of diabetic patients coming to the hospital, and they couldn't treat them, so they needed really an endocrinologist. So when I finished my fellowship, they just were looking for someone. I was lucky to get the position, and then I had to do everything from the basics. So the uh, first days, I was the doctor, the nurse, the dietitian, the social worker. But then, little by little, we built everything. We are now a staff of 20 people. And I had three diabetic patients I brought with me from my previous clinic. And we are now more than 350 children with diabetes treat, being treated in charity. If you go back into medical history... When did this turn begin where there were very, f from when there were very few pediatric patients with diabetes to where there's a significant number? Where was it that this transition took place? Well, till 1921, we didn't have a treatment for diabetes. So diabetic children died in a few months. So we didn't, we couldn't do anything with them. And in 1921, insulin was discovered. We started treating diabetic patients, and we have a good uh, record of the incidence of diabetes in the world um, for 40 to 50 years. And what we see is a gradual, steady increase in the incidence of diabetes in children and in grown-up, but more right. common in children. And completely every gradual. Year. There wasn't one very big spike at any point. Uh, no, there are some fluctuations, right. but every year the worldwide incidence is increasing every year for three to four percent for type one diabetes. Right. But there was an epidemic of type two diabetic diabetes in children, which we weren't used to see it. Uh, in America, a third of the adolescents with diabetes are type 2 because of the overweight and obesity epidemic in America. And it's coming to Israel as well. We're seeing more and more adolescents with type 2 diabetes. Uh, we're seeing a lot of diabetic children and it, it will be a 
an epidemic very soon. And the majority, and I, I know there's a difference between type 1 and type 2, but the majority of the pediatric cases you would say is because of obesity or not no. necessarily? The They're majority is type 1, which is not related to obesity. That is what, hereditary or it's something that develops as a young kid? What is it? It's multifactorial. There is some genetics, some environmental, but the bottom line is that we, not, we don't know exactly why some children develop type 1 diabetes. So on type 2, it's very likely that you might advise or others in your department might advise the parents and child that the child has to start by losing weight, right? Or has to eat differently or eat better, whatever the case may be. And very likely, you'll see positive results. When it comes True. to type 1, the only, way the, the only way to treat it with be, would be with medication. With or, insulin, and just that's insulin. It. And learning to live with it, or it, it, there, it could be a time where it's not as prevalent or where, where you actually, are, the child is not suffering from it anymore? Not at the moment. It's a lifelong life disease lifetime. for the time being, and the only way to give insulin is by injections. Right. So it's very aggressive. So we had a three-year-old uh, child that we discharged today from the hospital that has to get four to five times injections of insulin. A day? A day. And he has to check his blood uh, six to ten times a day by pricking his finger. So it's not that easy. We do have technologies. And technologies like uh, continuous uh, glucose monitoring and pumps, insulin pumps, are doing better job with treating diabetics. But still, many parents do not sleep in the night. Right. Many parents stop working and stay with their children. It's very time-consuming, and it's very hard to treat a child and with there, diabetes. And there's no 2020 technological advancement where... Something can replace the pricking of the finger where it could be... Yeah, this is the continuous glucose monitor. Right. It replaces very good, but not 100%. Well, I would, also think, still I would also think it would be hard to have that in every home, right? Or, or no, in Israel, in Israel, unfortunately, it's reimbursed. So every child who needs it, they will, can it. Get, they will have it. But remember, it has to be on your body the whole time. Right. So there are some adolescents which do not like it because it rem reminds them they are sick all the time. Uh, adolescents uh, like their body image. They don't want to disturb it with machines. Right. Uh, adherence to treatment is very difficult. You just cannot go to a movie and have popcorn and coke like all your friends because then the sugar will go up and you won't sleep the whole night. You know what they say about that? Easier said than done. You know yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We're with Dr. Flores Levy-Kademi, Director of Pediatric Daycare Unit and Division of Pediatric Endocrinology here in um, Asharit Sadik Medical Center. And what about the other thing? What about trying to develop? Can you speak to your pharmacy about developing a pill <laughs> for insulin instead of a, a well, shot? Well, that has been a 40 years uh, battle uh, experiment. Yeah. Uh, insulin is a protein. So when it goes to the stomach, the acid in the stomach just destroys it. So this has to be uh, done by injection. Yeah, the closest thing we have gone to is an inhaled insulin which is not available in Israel. The reason it's very expensive and um, it's politic. They didn't want to bring I it because it. of the money, but we don't have any oral insulin So yet. it's, it's going to remain as an injection for a while. For a while, but we are improving uh, our treatments all the time. A miracle will come, not tomorrow, but it will happen. And very often, even the youngsters are learning to inject themselves, right? Like at a certain at age. At the age of 10, 11. They're, they're learning to do it on their own. Sure. We teach them. Right. We have a great uh, programs of education in diabetes here in Sharitzadeh. And we are doing actually now 
a program of uh, Independent Day. We, we are teaching 10 years old children who were diagnosed when they were babies or children didn't understand anything about diabetes, treating diabetes, being independent. And uh, we're doing a research on it to see if it's effective or not, but we're teaching them to get some responsibility on their disease. I thank you very, very much thank for you. being here today. Thank and you. Iran's loss is Israel's gain. What do you think <laughs> of that? Thank huh? you very much. <laughs> you got thank it. Thank you. Facebook.com slash Nahum Single Network on the app, on the uh, Facebook uh, Live on the app. A couple of comments have come through. You can go to the NSN Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Let us know what you have to say about today's uh, very interesting show from Shari Tzedek Medical Center here in uh, Jerusalem. Um, yeah, so one person mentions the glucose monitor. There you go. I want to say hi to our friends at AJA in uh, Atlanta, carpool number 255. Welcome back. M.H. Dauber says love to the uh, Rimmels. And one of our, uh, um, one of our uh, um, commenters says that um, they want to publicly express their Hakarasatov Dr. Weisbord for his care and expertise. They had several interesting experiences, um, and uh, they want to thank the people here at Shari Tzedek for the uh, experience that they had um, recovering from their medical problem uh, very recently. Um, we have Dr. Ariella Tavito with us. I hope I pronounced that properly. Perfectly fine. There you go. Senior hematologist uh, here in Shari uh, Tzedek Medical Center. It is a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. How long have you been at Shari Tzedek? Well, since 2011. And what does a hematologist do? <laughs> A lot of things, as most doctors. I mainly treat coagulation and bleeding disorders. That's my main field. Uh, treating all kind of coagulation problems, blood clots, but also patients who bleed. And this is not necessarily something that happens because of medication. There's certain medications that blood thinners, etc., that would make a, a patient bleed differently than they might if they weren't on those, right? But this exactly. is exactly no. It's mainly to to look why it happened, causing, and also trying to prevent, of course. Right. You're talking about a medical situation, medical situation where somebody it. where somebody's not clotting properly, or someone is not. I think I could say this bleeding properly, right? That would be a way of putting it. That would certainly be a way of putting <laughs> there it. There you go. I <laughs> was when when you were introduced uh, when your topic was introduced to me before this show. Um, the note I was given was that we are finally managing hemophilia. Now, when I was growing up, hemophilia was always um, uh, publicized to the general public, at least in the United States, as something that was very difficult to treat and something very difficult to get under control. What does it mean that it's finally being managed? I think that we have really great news in hemophilia, and that's why I decided about this topic. And we should mention, by the way, for those who don't have a, not that I have a medical background, but for others like me who don't, hemophilia literally means uh, when someone bleeds, they will not stop bleeding, correct? There exactly. is no real clotting procedure that, that helps them and their body. Exactly. What happens in hemophilia, it's defined as a missing clotting factor or a very low clotting factor, which causes the whole coagulation process not to go as well as it should be. It won't clot when somebody starts bleeding. Uh, we are talking right now about hemophilia A, and I'd like to tell you about sure. one of the patients of my colleagues, a five-year-old boy, let's call him Josh. Um, he was completely healthy, born into a healthy family, and already early they realized that he bruised easily. Mm -hmm. And on one day, getting up, he wouldn't stand. 
and he was complaining about pain in his ankle. Now, this is one of the things that we see a lot when we talk about hemophilia because the bleeding mainly goes into the joints, joints that wear weight, so either ankles or knees. So when he was taken to check up, he was checked up, the blood tests, and the parents got the, the, the answer that he, is, uh, he has hemophilia A. Now, at these times, that meant, and what we still do right now, we want, we are missing factor eight, so we'd like to replace it, which is great, we have the treatment. But giving factor eight means that this poor little child needs to get three times a week an IV treatment. So one day that the father comes in. That essentially puts a clotting mechanism into, into one's body? Into his body. So one day, the father comes into the clinic and starts telling us that He's right now, after one of the days when we've been chasing for more than an hour after his little boy, trying to have him sit down and put in a vein so that he can give the clotting factor. And at that point, one of the colleagues decided to put him on a clinical trial that by now is already a treatment that we can give. In the end of 2018, was actually already we have the FDA approval for w it. With injection or not? With in I'll, I'll tell you, it's a great idea. It is with injection, but it's subcutaneously given only every two weeks. Whoa. You don't have to look for any veins. You don't have to run after the child. Of like course, you still shot. have to get a shot. It's but a shot. It's a shock every two weeks. It works like a bypassing. We don't need to eight anymore. It just goes further down, connects two different factors, factor 10, factor 9, and gets the coagulation done, and there is no bleeding with this. And the child very happily can now go and play with his friends, run around, not to be worried about bleeding. And on the other side, we don't have to run after him every three years. Is there any worry about bruising in that situation? Or? Uh, there is still a worry. There is still breakthrough bleeding. It's not complete. We are on the way to gene therapy, but we are certainly on the right way. Um, so the, all the research that was done over the last, I don't know, 50 years or so in the area of hemophilia finally is really paying off. It's really paying off and getting to hopefully a solution. By now we have a shot every two weeks. might be with gene therapy, which is going to be able to and get if, the factor And if that up. child a week after the shot would bleed like a regular kid would, it would clot and It would still coagulate. clot, of course. Again, we have to still be careful right. with the child, but much less. What a relief to his parents and to him of <laughs> himself, of course, but I could only imagine. Um, so what are some of the other things that... Uh, uh, that happens in your department, aside from blood clotting? Are there other uh, concerns that you deal with on a regular basis? On a regular basis, I do hematology as well, but we mainly do blood clotting, trying to prevent things, uh, to, pre you know, to prevent clotting. But right. Um, and, and the clots can, one of the reasons you're trying to prevent that clotting is because the clots can end up being very dangerous. Exactly. In the past, we've seen loads of patients that were hospitalized for blood clots in their legs, in their, in their um, lungs, mainly when we saw them after operations or when they were suffering of cancer or other things. And now we know that if some of these patients get prevention, we can actually take care that it doesn't happen to them. Are sonograms the only way to really see clearly if there are clots in someone's leg or there are parts of the body? Uh, yeah, that in would the be legs, the only yes. way to would do be it. the only way to do it. And, uh, and, uh, and otherwise, it's just simply pain as a symptom, and then, as a and symptom, then the doctor starts to guess. And then the doctor starts to guess, also usually depending on the situation, whether there are, is a high risk for clotting. And the medications that are the out there to break down those blood clots are many or just... Uh, there are quite many, and we are doing much better. In the past, we've had the warfarin only, which we had to do a very right. big follow-up uh, after the blood clotting, doing blood tests all the time. We have we were uh, we couldn't eat uh, green vegetable because that would lower the level. Nowadays we have drugs that we can just give, go take. You're going to be fine. Unbelievable. 
Um, Dr. Ariella Tvito, senior hematologist here at Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Thank you so much for joining us today. Mm, it was great being here. Thank I you very appreciate much. that. Learning a lot, as usual, here at Shari Tzedek as we continue on a uh, Monday morning broadcast. We're live at Shari Tzedek. We'll take this break, a little bit of music, and then plenty more coming up at JM in the AM. It's uh, Miami, our friends from the Miami Boys Choir with Modib here at JMA. We're live at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. We are literally in the uh, beautiful... Um, thank you. That's the word I've been looking for for the last two hours. We're in the beautiful atrium, which includes some incredible eateries, some nice gift shops, a pharmacy, and the NSN Nahum Segal Network Vestibule where we broadcast from 
twice. I guess if we do it three times, it'll have to be permanent. So maybe we'll come back and do it again next year. And the Dr. Philip Levine is with us, who's the director of the ICU. Sounds like a big responsibility, to say the least. Dr. Levine, welcome to JM in the AM. Hello. Where are you from originally? From England. Oh, you're from England. And mm. how long have you been at Charitetic Medical Center? Yeah, five years. Am I under the right or wrong impression? You'll be shocked that I'm starting with this, but I'm under the right or wrong impression that ICUs in general have changed tremendously over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years. I remember, I remember when ICUs were essentially off limits to any visitors. You wouldn't, uh, you, you'd literally consider it a space that um, had to be completely isolated from the rest of the hospital. Now, I'm not saying that those standards have been too relaxed, but it's a little bit different these days. Would you agree or not? Yeah, it's definitely not like that today. Right. In other words, we, we incorporate the families a great deal into what we do. Um, you know, intensive care usually comes as a, as a nasty surprise to people in their lives. And the patient is usually asleep. He's, uh, he's sedated, ventilated asleep. But for the families, it's, uh, it's a, a, a real difficult time for them. So you don't discourage them from visiting? No. We try to limit the numbers, right. but we, we don't discourage them from visiting. We try to, to get them involved. And, and I actually, I see part of my job, a very big part of my job, is helping them get through the difficulties, you know, the illnesses of their loved ones who are, who are actually in the ICU. No, it's good to hear that a director of a department like that has the families on the top of his priority list. Yeah, together with the patients, of obviously. Of course, so we know who the most, <laughs> we know who the biggest priority is, but still it's heartwarming to hear that. Um, with the advance in medical technology, and frankly with the ability, thank God, to save people from situations that they were not able to be saved from, you know, in an earlier era, it, it, is, it has probably made the ICU more active than at any other time in medical history. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah. I think you, you are right. It's a, it's a fascinating place to work. You know, we can do more and more things and, and help, I think, help more and more people. Although there are still limitations. Right. And there are sometimes negative results, as we know. I mean, probably no one more than you sees that, that, that you know, balance of life where, unfortunately, people in ICU you know, will not recover, some of them will not recover, and others obviously often make remarkable recoveries mm. from these terrible so, incidents. So it's important to remember 90% of the people who we admit, uh, we discharge alive. So yeah. they're severely ill, but, but the vast majority of them do, do survive their admissions. Right. Um, but yeah. I mean, there, we, there, some, there are incredible cases. You know, there are people who come very sick and get out. Uh, we, we take people from all, all the different areas of the hospital. Um, you know, anyone who's, when things go badly wrong, they, they end up with us. Right. Uh, so I guess one of the messages really for people out there is that when they hear that someone's in ICU, although it is a serious situation, nobody's downplaying it, the majority of the time, these people are going to recover. We need a lot of patience, help from the family, etc. But we're talking about people who have, thank God, you know, are surrounded by a team mm -hmm. and by a situation that could really help them recover. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. And I think what we, we can give in the ICU, because it's a relatively small number of patients and a, a large staff, we can, give a, we can give people the attention that they need and we can care for them. And uh, that's, that's an important part of what we do, both the patients and the families. How many people are in intensive care right now here at Charity City? Well, ours is the general intensive care unit. We have 14 beds, and they're always all full. They're always all full. Yeah, 100% occupancy. And, and that means that if uh, a, a specific patient would not be there, there would be another patient in the hospital that would need your services? or So there are other in intensive care areas around us also where, where we can put people in the recovery room, around the operating room, and there's the cardiac care unit and the neurosurgery unit and so forth and the, uh, ca the cardiothoracic unit, so there are pa patients admitted there as well, but, but yet yeah, there's pressure on our beds. 
The staff that you uh, that you have in the ICU unit are are they essentially trained the way emergency room staff would be? Do they have to have that type of uh, I don't know trauma experience or specialty experience in emergency situations in order to be in an ICU? Mm, they, they need they need intensive care training. And there is specific intensive yeah, care yeah, training. Yeah, there's an intensive care. I mean, for the nurses, for example, there's a, there are courses to make them into intensive care nurses. And intensive care in an emergency room is not the same. It's two very different, different things, different skill sets, different abilities, both very important but different. Um, what would be some of the things, some of the skills that are necessary to be a good intensive care unit staff member? I mean, I think that, you know, we work as a team. We're a large team and we work as a team and, and the, the, the ability to work as a team is very important. And also as doctors, we work together with nurses. The nurses do the sort of the, the hands-on care and there's one nurse to two patients with us. So in America, it would be probably one nurse to one patient, but here it's slightly wow. less. Um, and they do the sort of hands-on care. They look after the patients, whereas as the doctors, we're, we're one step further away. We're involved in the care, but we're less, we're sort of involved in directing the care and they're involved in instituting the care. And look but after a patient, by the way, is a very good way of putting it because they, because of the small ratio between nurse and patient, are literally devoting all their time or at the, at the, at the minimum half of their time to that patient. Absolutely, absolutely. And there are, the team also includes the, the physiotherapist, the dietitian, the social worker, and it's, it's, it's a whole team and it all has to work together. So that ability to do teamwork is, is very important to us. What's unique about the Sharid Sedek ICU? Is there something about this hospital that uh, operates either differently or you know, that, that you're proud of in, in terms of what uh, that they provide compared to other ICU, unit, ICU units? Uh, well, we, we, in a quite different way from the rest of the world, we, um, we, we tend not to give up. Which may it's be a good, good way of putting it, huh? <laughs> which may be good and may be bad, but uh, but we we tend to to carry on and keep going for probably longer than other places. And that includes the var varied staff that you just mentioned, yeah, yeah. because not only are the are the hands-on nurses and doctors not giving up, but the social workers, physiotherapists, yeah. etc., are also making this effort to yeah. get the most possible out of that patient. Right. So that's what we are proud of. I think that is pretty unique for Sharon Sedek, frankly. Um, uh, Doctor uh, Philip Levine is the director of the ICU unit here at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. I can't imagine that you have an easy job. So thank you so much for dedicating your career to it. Thank you. A pleasure meeting you. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. More coming up from Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. It's 
J.M. in the A.M. with Eighth Day. We are live from uh, Jerusalem, the Shari Tzedek Medical Center here in Jerusalem. J.M. in the A.M. going until uh, 9 o'clock this morning. At 9 o'clock, Mayor Weingarten is going to be on. The uh, Israel show is going to be a mayor's focus. Let me give you a little preview of what mayor is going to be talking about between 9 and 10 o'clock. Kassam Suleimani is dead, the demise of evil incarnate. The Israel show looks at the consensus of reactions in Israel and, on the other side, the consensus of Democrats in the United States. That's funny, Mayor. I like that. Uh, the latest twist from Prime Minister Netanyahu asking the Knesset to grant him temporary immunity from prosecution and the latest decision by Israel's Supreme Court in this matter in view of the upcoming election. And, of course, the weekly Israeli music mix dedicated to the music of Yoram Gaon on his 80th birthday. Tune in immediately following JM and the AM starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. NahumSiegel.com, NSN app. There's the aforementioned Yigal Siegel. We uh, mentioned earlier how much of a help he is to us, and here he is visiting us at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. And we're going to uh, um, a selection. I'm back with plenty more if you keep it here at JM in the AM. כל רגע הוא יקר, הזמן עוזר לו וחולף נגמר. 
ושום דבר לא מיותר היום. היום הזה כל כך קצר, עולם זמני, עולם מוזר, כל מה שלא תיקח נשאר. תגיד אולי מחר, תחשוב הכל זה שום דבר, עוד רגע ההווה עבר, שים לב, אל תשכח את האוצר, חטוף בכל מה שאפשר, מה שטבע של היום תאכל מחר. That's from uh, Yoni Z, and we continue with plenty more. Hour number three of our broadcast here on a Monday. We're going to Facebook, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. You can go to right now to Facebook and watch this conversation with Dr. Alon Schwartz, which is coming up, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. He is the director of the trauma unit here at Shari Tzedek Medical Center, and uh, he joins us for this conversation. It's Dr. Alon Schwartz. Shalom, shalom, and welcome to JM and the AM. Welcome to Jerusalem, to Shari Tzedek. How long have you been at Shari Tzedek? Uh, about 10 years, maybe more than 10 years. Who had your job uh, in the trauma unit before you? Ah, <laughs> so you're asking what my next job. <laughs> <laughs> you're the next director general of Shari Tzedek Medical Center, and we broke the story here. How do you like that? So it's yeah, obvious so that Ofer had the job before you. Yeah, I, I'm a, I was lucky to be a young trauma director in Shari Tzedek, and uh, it was a big uh, honor for me to, come, to become a trauma director right after uh, Professor Marin, yeah. uh, which uh, established the trauma unit here and uh, really brought us to a really uh, high degree of trauma unit level one almost, uh, and the uh, academic trauma unit, uh, and hopefully uh, in the future the leading uh, trauma unit of Jerusalem. You know, people listening around the world who are not necessarily here in Israel, 
when they think of trauma, they, they I mean, unfortunately, they think of terror attacks, things like that. And obviously, that's something that you know your unit would respond to, obviously. But there's so many other situations yeah. that occur here on a regular basis that deal with your unit. So, you know, I did my uh, training in Miami in Jackson Memorial Hospital Rider Trauma Center for two years. And when I came to Miami, they told me, well, you're coming from Jerusalem to learn trauma from us. You can teach us. So I said, okay, relax, guys. We're not riding camels anymore. And uh, there's not so much trauma in Jerusalem, usually. It's a peaceful, peaceful city. And uh, I, I hope uh, they told you that we work here together with Arab Palestinians and Jews right. uh, shoulder to shoulder and right. treating all other kinds of medical uh, sicknesses beside trauma. And unfortunately, you know, the environment in the Middle East and all the conflicts here. So we get once in a while trauma with the gunshot wounds or stab wounds or of any kind of um, sometimes, unfortunately, uh, multiple casualty incidents with the uh, bomb going off. But this is very rare. What was what was a very difficult day for you? What happened? that we may have heard of in the news that ended up being a very difficult day for the drama So unit. recently we had uh, the case of the uh, Rimmel family right. that the Rimmel... Uh, the car accident. The car accident, yeah. It wasn't a terror event. Right. Uh, and this was a very hard uh, event for us uh, because of the life loss that happened. Mother and child. The mother and the baby. Right. And there is another 12-year-old, Itai, that is still uh, ad uh, admitted in the uh, pediatric intensive care unit. Right. Uh, still uh, in a critical condition. Uh, uh, fortunately, the father was discharged recently after one month to of admission here. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's in uh, rehabilitation in Tel Shomer. And uh, this was a big success because he was also injured very severely. And you didn't know if he would survive. Yeah, there was, uh, yeah, of course, but uh, this was a very hard event because all of the uh, life loss and the family situation. Now, now the family credits your staff, uh, to a degree I can't speak on their behalf, but to, they credit your staff with saving lives, the father, the child, you know, in that situation. I mean, can you describe to an average person like me who has no medical background what the trauma unit did and how they jumped in to eventually save the life of these two people? Uh, so it wasn't just the two people because the mother also arrived to us uh. but unfortunately with her we didn't have a lot to do right. uh, but of course you try to do as much as you can for every patient and we have enough team and we have enough uh, operating room um, the uh, Itai the kid went straight to the operating room and the father um, went to the operating room just uh, about uh, 12 hours later. Um, of course, all uh, the teams, the surgical teams and the intensive care unit teams are involved in the treatment. Uh, we get the best professionals if we need like orthopedic surgeons or if we need vas vascular surgeons, everybody are being called to take care in these trauma cases. It's not like a, a you know, like a, a public uh, health case that right. nobody wants to do. All the best surgeons and the best uh, professionals are being involved in this kind of, that kind of case. It case. sounds like people in that operating room, some of them are assigned to keep them alive and others are assigned to make them better. Some are assigned to watch their vitals, 
you know, if something goes wrong, God forbid, be there to make sure that they're able to sustain and maintain what they have. And on the other side, you're talking about surgeons and others who are trying to make them better as quickly as possible. So trauma care is, I think, not the only, but a, a very unique field in medicine that is still holistic. And we have to take care of everything uh, from keeping the person alive and give him life support, respirator, blood, etc. Et yeah. And all the way through surgeries and physiotherapy and mental health uh, and rehabilitation until he gets better and get back to life. So it's a big uh, field, trauma, and a lot of teams are involved and the care is not done just in the operating room. Right. It's continued through the admission in the intensive care unit, in the ward, uh, in rehabilitation. We have contact with these families and these with, pa with these patients for a long time, even in rehabilitation, if the, even if the rehabilitation is not here in Shari Tzedek. And then we see them in clinic until they go back to normal life. We have a trauma a psychologist. We have all the social work, uh, workers and everybody are involved to uh, get this family out of this horrible situation. It's interesting because earlier um, when we were speaking with the director of the ICU, he made it clear to me that the skills in ICU are much different than the skills in an emergency room, trauma, and other places. And now I'm understanding it more as you're saying. Uh, once someone is a trauma patient, they remain a trauma patient really under the care of trauma experts. And those who have trauma expertise may not have the expertise other departments have, but they have a unique set of skills. Definitely, definitely. And this is the reason why I was sent from Shari Tzedek to uh, Miami to learn how to treat trauma. Uh, Ryder Trauma Center is a big trauma center, uh, handling much uh, more trauma that we have here in Shari Tzedek. And this is uh, where we can go and uh, got, uh, get this experience from the exposure to a high volume trauma center and get uh, the knowledge and bring it here back to Jerusalem. And I assume what they're seeing is, is sort of like the case you just described for us here. A lot of head injuries, a lot of accidents take place on the road, good weather place, a lot of swimming accidents, a lot of road accidents, people on motorcycles. But about like twice that. daily. And very, very often compared yeah. to what you see very here. Very often, yeah. Um, I was uh, asked to ask you about the, uh, I assume that the staff includes special nurses for trauma as well or not necessarily? Yes, of course. We have a nurse uh, that uh, is in charge of trauma, but uh, in the ER there are special nurses that get the qualification to be in the trauma room. Not every nurse can go into the trauma room because you have to uh, uh, to get the special qualification uh, uh, understanding the st the uh, treatment and the equipment that is used and then uh, of course surgeon surgeons uh, not every surgeon is involved with trauma also residents uh, from a certain degree they get involved in these cases um, uh, but of course nurses are involved of course are PAs getting involved in any of these staffs at all yeah so you know? PA is a new st new thing in Israel mm. uh, until I think maybe three or four years ago there were no, no PAs so we're used to it Israel. more in the United States yeah in the United States PAs are very involved especially in the ER but also uh, in uh, in the services that working in the wards and they are very uh, very good help for the physicians they take a lot of the uh, work that can be done by a non-physician, but a mm -hmm. physician assistant. Um, 
in the emergency room in Israel, uh, the number of patients is just rising up from day to day. And uh, uh, the quality of the treatment is being uh, jeopardized by the uh, high volume of patients and less uh, physician that can take care of them. Uh, so uh, they found out this PA option uh, to get PA involved. There is still, in Israel, there is no uh, PA uh, qualification program in the uh, universities, but there is a program that takes paramedics from Magen David Adom mm. and give, him, uh, give them a qualification to be a PAs. Similar responsibilities. Yes, and... Uh, there are also PAs that were um, trained in America that started uh, to be um, employ, uh, employed in the ERs in Israel. Right. This is a really new thing. Before I let you go, uh, Dr. Alone Schwartz, um, it, it was, it was uh, described to me that you are, a, in your position, head of trauma, that you are a connection to the Red Cross and that there are other countries that you work with um, to learn from and to have mutual exercises with, which is sometimes welcome when Israel's involved and sometimes, frankly, not always so welcome when Israel's involved. What could you tell us about that? So um, we have international connections, uh, especially with America, but also with Europe and the Red Cross also. Uh, the Red Cross wanted to get from our experience about uh, mul uh, multiple casualties incidents and uh, terror, terror attacks uh, and to give them training about um, our experience from this field. Uh, one uh, one uh, topic that I was uh, lecturing about in these uh, Red Cross uh, conferences was uh, uh, ethics in trauma. Wow. So let's say if you have a situation that you have uh, two uh, casualties, mm -hmm. one of them is the terrorist and one of them is uh, the That's casualty. Right. So uh, the victim exactly, and if uh, what what is like the priorities? If you have any priorities, if, if just the medical one uh, could be more injured than the other. Uh, exactly, uh, we had a, a big conference here in Mishkanot Shananim about uh, three or four years ago, um, uh, including rabbis and um, um, philosophers, uh, and of course surgeons and doctors. Uh, there are no like a uh, straightforward answer to this. Every case is different. Patient. Every case is different, but certainly you have to uh, get uh, the discussion about it. And this is exactly what I did in this conference. I presented them a case and I, la I let them uh, Give get, their opinion, right? yeah, get, get like get uh, to decide what to do. And uh, there was a big uh, diversity in their opinions. And they saw that it's very—it's not like that easy to uh, get uh, over these cases. And uh, so we'd be surprised at how much cooperation Israel has with other countries in these, and that other countries have with Israel in these situations. For sure, Israel—Israel uh, Israel has unfortunately a bad experience with terrorism, right. and a lot <laughs> of countries in Europe and in America want to learn from us. Uh, well, I'm going to give you a bracha that you shouldn't be so busy, and that your Thank department you shouldn't be so busy, but. Because, as we heard earlier, Shari Tzedek is servicing a lot more than just Jerusalem. Uh, there's a lot of ground you're covering out there. And if there is a trauma episode really anywhere near Jerusalem, not necessarily inside the city, chances are they're going to come to Shari uh, Tzedek. Of course, of course. We have also the, the uh, Binyamin and uh, right. Gush Etzion that we cover. We have a very good connection with the military. Uh, the head, uh, like the Surgeon General of this uh, zone in the military is in contact with me with every event that happens just directly to my phone. I get the information immediately and we can uh, act very rapidly. We, can, we are like 
uh, when the patient is here, we're already ready with all uh, the special needs for this patient because we get the information very quickly. You told in advance, right. Um, and uh, we really become uh, the uh, leading trauma center of Jerusalem. Tadaraba, thank you so much for your time. Thank and you very much. And vote for what you do. Dr. Alon Schwartz is director of the trauma unit here at Chariot Sedic Medical Center. Incredible what they do here on a regular basis. More coming up. You are listening to a JM in the AM Monday morning edition. I thank you all for tuning in. And I remind you that um, we're back in our studio in New York City tomorrow. That'll happen tomorrow. On Wednesday, we have an opportunity to talk about the uh, Haas concert. That's coming up on, uh, on uh, January the 12th. And on a, um, on a uh, Thursday morning edition this week, we're going to have an opportunity to speak to some of the uh, players, some of the uh, teammates on the Yeshiva University men's basketball team. So that's all coming up later on this week here at JM and the AM. And I think we should move on because I'm having a little trouble with this machine for some reason. Sure. And we're going to continue with more coming up. You can check out some of the Facebook interviews, or I should say some of the interviews that are taking place um, uh, here at Shari Tzedek by going to facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. Again, that's facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. You can check it out by going to, um, there we go, by going to Facebook and, uh, and discovering some of the people that we have spoken to today at Shari Tzedek. And now, ladies and gentlemen around the world, no doubt... The interview that will put an incredible <laughs> smile on your face. You wonder, you wonder after speaking about trauma and emergencies and all the different diseases that uh, Shari Tzedek is trying to <laughs> overcome here. Is there someone who could sit down with me and give us an amazing and incredible package of great news? And in fact, we have found that person. Mrs. Susie Fetter is here, senior midwife at the Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, and I welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. You have been at Shari Tzedek for how long? Uh, a little over 20 years. And you are originally from? Denver, Colorado. Oh, you're a Denver, Colorado person. Mm-hmm. And all the way here at Shari Tzedek, you have the position of senior midwife. Have you been doing that for 20 I years? I mean, I'm one of the senior One of the senior midwives. I was told that there's a team no, of no, no. senior I'm midwives. Not, uh, <laughs> have you been doing uh, midwifery for 20 years? And always a charitetic. Yes. Um, one of the things we tell people on a regular basis, not just around Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, everyone starts talking about the number of births at charitetic, but we do that really all year round. And uh, the number is quite amazing, huh? Over uh, close to twenty-five thousand, if I'm correct. I believe yeah. it's around that, which is pretty something like that. Twenty-two thousand, twenty-two thousand births here in the hospital, and I would assume that it's one of the largest, if not the largest, per capita. Uh, for births in a hospital, probably in the entire world, I would guess. Could be. What's it like being in a department that's filled with good news? What's it like knowing that only your patients are the ones who like going to the hospital and basically nobody else does? <laughs> it's amazing. It's really amazing. Um, when I come to the, to the hospital, I feel like it's the only place to be in the hospital. Right. And um, it's it's just a fascinating and amazing uh, job. Um, it's not just the midwifery. It's, it's everything. It's not, I'm a nurse midwife, so it's not just nursing uh, because we have a lot of uh, autonomy and a lot of independence in, in what we do. 
in other words, the doctors are there. Right. But we do a lot. And when and when you say that, I'm assuming you mean that uh, that at some point you've gotten to know the patient, you've gotten to know the mother to be, and you you have a system or or, or a, a way of directing her or dealing with her uh, to her benefit the best as possible. Well, we hope so. That's right, what we that's try what to do. It's different than uh, other places in the world because we don't necessarily know the woman before mm. she comes to the hospital. We might just be meeting her in the middle of labor. Right. Um, uh, as opposed to other places where the midwives do the prenatal care and everything like that. We really don't as of yet. Um, so we meet the women when they come here. And whoever's on staff that not that shift uh, meets that woman and takes care of her. So is this sort of like they're getting the benefit of having a nurse there and the benefit of having a midwife there that both separately might approach things differently, but together, because you're holding both titles, you're able to give her the best of both worlds? Yes, in a way. It's, it's a little bit different. In America, the, the midwife um, just does basically the delivery where the... Um, the delivery room nurse will do all the other stuff and right. we just do it all we just do that both i um one of my my positions here is also to uh do the orientation for new midwives and at this present time i'm um doing an orientation on a on a midwife that uh studied in america came from new york and it's very interesting to see how different it is she it says you have to teach me about the operating room because what I did there was different from what you do here. And even in the delivery room itself, what she does is different than what we do. We really have a lot of autonomy. And uh, it's, it's amazing to do it here in Israel. Um, I, I wasn't a midwife in America. Um, what's amazing here is the, the spirituality of it. And I think that is exclusive to Shari Tzedek. The feeling, the avira, as we say in uh, in Hebrew, uh, it, it's just, it's different. It's so just you have a, you amazing. So you have a closeness to those babies that you probably wouldn't have at other hospitals. Yes, uh, all these babies that I delivered, they're like the cutest babies <laughs> in the world. I would hope. I, I tell the mothers that if they're, ba write that one that I delivered, that's your cutest that's one. That's the one. Um, <laughs> you have a connection. You do have a connection. Um, uh, Mrs. Susie Fetters with a senior midwife here at Chariot Sedek. Um, we, we speak about shortages of doctors and nurses. Such a thing in midw midwifery? Uh, absolutely. In There's a shortage. Well. <laughs> you, could, you would encourage young people to, to get involved. I think so. I mean, there are a lot of people wanting to be involved. But right. we always need, it seems to me that we always need more nurses. But it's because we have such a such a large uh, delivery room. Right, big population oh, and a large delivery room. Yeah. Uh, is it always busy? If, if you'd walk in there now, is it always busy? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, around the clock? Pretty much. Interesting. Yep. Does that yep. work quiet time, huh? No, but that's <laughs> that's what makes it fascinating and wonderful. And and like I said, what's what's uh, especially interesting about it is that it's not just the nursing or the midwifery. It's also, I look at it as sociological and psychological and anthropological. You get to meet a lot of different people from a lot of different cultures, and um, and see the dynamic of, of of their families, their mothers, their mothers-in-law, their 
it, it's very interesting. I would think in Sharad Sedek you need midwives who know a variety of languages, or at least special ones that, you know. Right. I'm, I'm basically illiterate in two languages. That's English <laughs> and Hebrew. And, um, but I know how to deliver in <laughs> French and in Arabic. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, you, so you're ready for the job, it sounds like. Well, I learned it here. I mean. um, and, and what about the, I mean, you described earlier in terms of training. I assume there's a formal program where someone can enter a program with a, with a goal to become a midwife, right? Right. Well, first you have to be a nurse. Mm. So you have to get a bachelor's in nursing. And then you do a program, a midwifery training which is what they call ALBCC. It's, it's like a ma uh, master's is in that America. Long? It's a year. One well, year. I, I say it's nine months, actually. <laughs> Very good. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that? Midwife program is nine months. <laughs> How ironic. <laughs> it's really a year, but it's nine months. Of <laughs> it sounds much better the way you put it. I know. It's, it's and you came from Denver what year? We made Aliyah in 1995. And why? What was the uh, impetus to uh, come to Israel? Well... Because that's where we belong. And that's that where it. we all belong. And, and in Denver was... I was pushing my husband for a f way longer than that. Was there an atmosphere uh, in Denver that lent itself to being close to Israel? Were you uh, in, in a synagogue or school where they were constantly speaking about and focusing on Israel? Um, I'm not so sure. I, I think uh, my family was Zionistic. My parents always wanted to... Make Aliyah. Um, so you always looked eastward. Yeah. But instead you know, of looking toward New York, you went further all the way to Jerusalem. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Not not to New York, sorry. <laughs> what a pleasure meeting you today. Thank and you continued very much. success. I mean, tens of thousands amazing. of babies. It's, it's amazing. It's the best news in this entire building. It's the greatest. It's the greatest. I notice they even have special balloons for the babies when they're born. That That's gift right. shop's taking advantage of your work. That's right. <laughs> Thank you very, very Thank much. You. Mrs. Susie Fetter is a senior midwife at Shari Tzedek Medical Center here in Jerusalem. And yes, they're selling a lot of both boy and girl balloons here at the gift shop because of the work that she is doing. More coming up. You are listening to a uh, Monday edition of JM in the AM as uh, we continue here from Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. Keep it here at JM in the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network.
J.M. and the A.M. We're live in Jerusalem at Chariot Tzedek Medical Center. Well, let me explain what happened here. Our brilliant producer, Miriam L. Wallach, and, uh, and Audrey Gross uh, put together an amazing show for us today, and we hit a little bit of a, uh, of a uh, bump in the road when uh, – a little bit of a, tr of a bump in the road when uh, Mr. Tzvika Rubenstein uh, unfortunately was not able to be with us. Uh, he is the uh, one of the architects here at Chariot Aesthetic Medical Center as they go through this incredible and beautiful expansion. Uh, but luckily, God is with us. God's the ultimate producer. And who walked by as we're, uh, as we're um, 
talking about the lack of architect speak, architect talk here at JM and the AM. Ty Farrow and Shai Ofer, they've been described to me as other uh, architectural experts who are working on Sharit Tzedek Medical Center. Ty, shalom, and welcome to JM and the AM. How are you? Am I right that you and Shai are working on the building as we speak? We are. We worked on the master plan for the entire campus, the expansion of it from its present uh, size to about twice the size and scale. Is it going to be double the size of it? Well, for a long-range master plan, looking wow. out 50 years, what we needed to do was to look at what the hospital needed to be to serve the needs of the community well out into the future. And the first piece that's very important is the creation of the cancer center right. and some additional parking to help serve the, the people that are coming. Will that additional parking be sufficient or you would never give that type of guarantee? <laughs> uh, it, it'll be sufficient probably for the first day, first but it seems days, to be right? a very, very busy, but it's 800 some odd cars. So it's a lot of cars right. that are being added uh, to a capacity that should have a significant impact and it'll be very easy and intuitive to move through it, to park and then right. get to... Now, the do, you, do you and Shai have different functions when it comes to arranging the... Di design and diagrams of the new hospital? No, we're both, uh, we're a fantastic team that's fully integrated between a whole variety of things. One is around what's the function, right. what's the durability, and how does it make you feel? And all of those things are very important. You want to ensure that functionally it's very efficient and cost effective. It has to be durable for a long, long period of time. But when you're feeling your worst, and you're coming somewhere for some treatment or you're coming to help somebody that isn't feeling so well, the architecture in the space has the ability to give a little extra spring in your step that makes you feel better. And equally as important as the people that are working here, they're here, you know, day in, day out, uh, working hard to look after people. And what can we do as architects to make them uh, feel their best. So a design can not only be made to the benefit of a patient, it can be made to help the spirit of a patient. Well, what design can do is cause health. And what I mean by causing health is we think that the building has the ability to, to, to create and cause optimal health. What do I mean about optimal health? Optimal health, from my definition, Health is like a three-leg stool or three-leg chair, and this, what you sit on is the optimal health. The three legs of that stool that are very important that design has the ability to influence, the first design has a significant uh, impact on the natural environment, the whole idea of sustainability. Right. That's one leg. The second leg is design has a significant impact on our physical body. And a whole lot of the rise of chronic diseases is how we've designed and organized our, our communities. Right. And so that's the second leg. The third leg is design has a significant impact on what we call mind health. A little different, I define it slightly different than mental health, is mind health is, is creating the conditions where you can thrive. And that's thriving where you're healing, where you're working, where you're studying, all of those pieces. And so... If you think of an environment such as a hospital that is massively high-tech, and that's in mechanical, electrical <laughs> systems, all of the amazing equipment, but it's equally high-touch. I mean, it's all of the environments that you walk into, it either makes you contract and feel anxious, 
or it makes you feel inspired and back to your spirit. And so the question is, should design of a cancer center be part of the, the prescription that you walk in and, you know, you breathe out and you feel comfortable and at ease and more relaxed? And so what are some of the things that, that give us those feelings? And so in enriched environments, environments are like food. And you can have food that is full of minerals and vitamins that are great for all your organs and your mind. Or you can have foods that's empty calories. And so you look and you buy a burger and you eat it. It gives you protein and calorie, but you're left feeling empty right. after an hour. Other foods you eat and it gives you great energy and it makes you feel better. Well, space is the same. Space can do the same thing. Ty Farrow and Shai Ofer are here. Shai, shalom to you. Shalom. Uh, do we have Shai on? Um, so, and it's funny because Miriam just handed me this note and I'm thinking this for the last uh, five minutes as we're talking. Uh, she describes you as world-renowned experts in hospital design. I was wondering, and I guess that's the answer to this question, uh, I was wondering if Shari Tzedek and other hospitals need to go to hospital designers in order to get this done. And obviously this is your expertise, right? Well, we try and use, we are, my firm uh, that is working from Jerusalem has been with Shari Tzedek for about 30 years. Oh, wow. And uh, Ty is uh, based in Canada, in Toronto. And between those two, I think we can bring the optimal um, solution to things that, uh, you know, uh, we in Jerusalem know the hospital so well and right. so deeply. And <laughs> Ty has that uh, wide vision of... Uh, so hospital expert meets Jerusalem expert, basically. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's, that, what it that's comes the down way it should to. be. Um, by the way... Jerusalem poses its own challenges when it comes to design and trying to, you know, build a building, right? I mean, different than other cities around the world, correct? Every city is, is different. unique. Jerusalem is unique, but I really... Uh, uh, Jerusalem has its laws on one hand. It has its history, and there's a lot of things to respect. Um, it's a difficult place, but every, you know, every place, every place is unique and uh, I'm not saying it's just another unique place. Right. Jerusalem has been my home since I was born uh, and uh, you know there are the stone aspects of the design in Jerusalem. There are controversial issues as to whether it should be so uh, so much of a strict law and actually the building that we're going to build mostly is not built of stone. Interesting. So we're trying to get a, a, a little bit away from that. That was a requirement or a custom to no. put up buildings in Jerusalem made of Jerusalem? It was a requirement made by the British, actually. When Jerusalem was starting to develop rapidly out of the old city, it used to be a necessity. Right. When it was in the old city, this was the material of the land. Right. But it was a rom uh, romantic idea yeah. of the British saying... This city, it should be built out of all the beautiful stones. So it's curious that mm. that now becomes the, the law and the rule. You know, it's funny. You mentioned earlier the um, technological advancements, the equipment that's needed in rooms. And you have to consider all of that when it goes into the physical space that you're thinking of and that you're working toward. Um, there's probably, in some cases, a lot less equipment 
in certain types of wings and units and rooms, and in some cases, a lot more equipment and space that's needed for those machines right. in some units. Well, but I, I think the, again, coming back and pairing together two things is one is there's fantastic technological transformation that is changing everything in medicine in all aspects. But on the other hand, the people that are using the equipment, the medical staff, and the people that are being treated, they're all human. Right. And so if you look at the transformations in, in uh, ORs, operating suites, you know, one of the things that's most important in an operating suite is to be, ha be able to have a window for the, peop the surgeons that are working, a window that they can look out onto the horizon. Well, what does that have to do with an operation? <laughs> well, it has a lot because if I'm focused about a foot away from me and my eyes are strained on that, if I can lift my eyes and begin to look out to the horizon, what happens is I get recharged and it makes my performance better. In other words, I think of everything. <laughs> well, it's how do you create environments that are for people? Have you ever worked in a hospital in the United States? Uh, I've never. I've worked all over the globe, but I haven't done anything in the United Nothing States. Nothing in the U.S. No. Are you familiar with the rebuild after Sandy at NYU? Uh, I've seen parts. Yes. And I is have. that something you would study, or is that just? I, I I look at hospitals around the globe, and so we're working literally around the globe. And what's what's important about that is every place does things differently for the most part. And what m my job is to be able to do is to take ideas from other places and bring them to the table. Right. And they may or may not be appropriate here. I think part of the reason we're working here is because we're from Canada and Canada is in a medical system that is very similar to here, which is very different from the United States. Correct. And so I could design a hospital that is based on US models, but it's impossible to staff and massively expensive. Understood. And you have to plan it in a different way. Uh, what's the official name of your firm? Farrow Partners, Inc. Nice meeting you, Mr. Ty Farrow. And Shai, what's the official name of your firm in Jerusalem? We are Rubenstein Ofer Architects. Wonderful. Great nice to meet both nice of you. Nice to be the fill-in. Yeah, you like that, huh? <laughs> I think you did pretty well for architectural <laughs> fill-ins. Thank you so much. As you continue Enjoy your day. As you continue to fill in the big hole outside, good luck to you. Have fun. Uh, starting to wrap things up here at JM and the AM, who do we have next? We are at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. Um, I want to thank our incredible friends at the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, including, of course, Rachel Wolf and her staff. Gadi Ilan. Hi, how are you? I hope I have that pronounced properly. Yeah, exactly. He is the head, the director of logistics. And engineering. Here yes. at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in yeah. Jerusalem. And that means, describe for us what that would encompass. It's um, to my um, charge about the food, oh. the cleaning, the housekeeping. Uh, the warehouses, uh, electricity, gases, all the materials. All the infrastructure. Uh, yeah, everything, almost everything. Is, is, la is laundry going 24 hours a day or not? The laundry, we don't uh, keep it here. Ah, it's done it's by Haifa or by it's Tarot. It's outsourced. And it comes every morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, comes here two trucks and give us all the laundry. And then we give it to the departments. It's uh, all over until 6.30 or 7, something like that. It's, it's a big challenge to, to make it a time because in the morning everybody comes up and right. wants you know, a new towel, a new sure. th th sheets or something like that. So we have to end. We have in the night also, you know, 
for something is happening in the night, so we have a closet for, for uh, you know, emergency or something like that. But usually 24 hours, <laughs> we have laundry or something like that if we need that. It's, and, it's and, the food, and food service means every patient obviously has to be fed three, three times, times a day. day. Yeah, and each diet. The, right. The, the, the big challenge diet. is diet. Because How many years are you in this hospital? Almost 12. How many diets have, have, have been implemented just in the last 12 years in terms I, of specialty diets? I, I myself, after a diet, a <laughs> big one, uh, uh, 35. But, uh, but, uh, uh, but uh, we have like 60, 60 diets. 6-0. 6 yeah, exactly. It's like uh, 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 sugar or yeah, or I get all the and all the combinations, and, right? and and gluten and uh, free gluten and everything, a lot, a lot of them, and and then the the, the diet person also sometimes says uh, 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 put a banana, put something like that, and it goes in the note, and we have to obey uh, yeah, obey you, to that. You adjust accordingly. Yeah, so every patient have the special diet of his needs exactly, not not. Almost, you understand? And Unbelievable. If, if you are not, so uh, we are taking out the notes an hour before, uh, before the, the, before the meal. The meal right? Yeah, and then we are preparing it and sending it to the, to the to department. And we have special uh, trails. The trails have half food is cold and half food is, is heat because you have to keep also the, the cooling of the food and also the heating of the food in the same time. So it goes up and then it has a special... Uh, is the kitchen going 24 hours a day? No. But 10 o'clock right? we close, but we open it at 4 o'clock in the morning and then we start in the day, every day, every day, every day, even Yom Kippur. Because uh, in Yom Kippur, yeah, yeah they, they eat, they, they eat uh, sure. as well. We have a lot of shiurim in Yom Kippur. It's a lot of stuff to do shiurim. We, we made shiurim. You measure. Yeah, we measure exactly. So people have what they yeah, want. And they the, and then we have three kinds of, of uh, patients. We have patients that are, uh, uh, that are uh, uh, in, in uh, Kippur. They have patients that eat shiurim. And they have patients that eat as, as well. Uh, especially if they're not Jewish. We, well, have, we've, to, we've, we have to give them food. Right. We've stumbled upon another uniqueness now of Sharetetic Medical Center. There are very few hospitals in the world exactly. that are measuring food on it's, Yom Kippur so exactly. that people have just... It's very... And you, 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 you know, rabbis comes here to see how, how it works because, you know... I never would have even a thought of it. I'll and a day, before, a day before Yom Kippur, the rabbi and the manager of the hospital goes all over the hospital. It's, it's something that we are doing years. And they said, you are shurim, you are, you are a, a special meal, right. or you are, you are uh, in, in a tzom or something like that. Tell me finally about the importance of the cleanliness of the hospital. And, and when you find staff members that really help you maintain that type of atmosphere, it must be <laughs> a great feeling to have people who take that topic and that subject as seriously as you do. Again, I, I, I mean, you, mean you have the maintenance. Yeah, or? you have a staff that's taking care of the hospital, right? You have yeah. a staff that's taking I, care. We have 35 people. That and and, they're, and they're the hospital has to be very clean. And the cleaning, we have 200 people. Right. So there's 200 people that are maintaining the cleanliness of the hospital. Yeah. That is one of the most, I mean, I mean, we talked about food and laundry. One of the most important aspects of this hospital is the cleanliness. See, the challenge of the cleaning is a big, big challenge because... It depends who comes from where, and everybody has his own cleaning uh, standards. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, for for you, you you can see this floor; it's clean right. or not clean. I seeing a lot of things. You know, it's <laughs> like you notice you know, everything. Yeah, because you know, like like I said, the husband 
uh, is not that he doesn't have, uh, 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 I would say, in the in in the in the kitchen uh, things. He doesn't see that. Right. So th- that's the difference, you know. Because when you are walking the street, you can see, wow, it's very clean. But I'm walking, I see a lot of things. So it's a challenge for me uh, and for all the other staff to to keep it day after day, day after day. And we have like people that 35 years right. Now, that it's, was my point. My point is when you have you know some of these 200 staff members mm-hmm. who take it as seriously as you do, it's 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 a wonderful feeling to have people like yeah, that. Yeah, a lot of serious. them. I, I I should you know. Yeah, just, you uh, salute uh, them. Yeah, exactly. Because to do that, we 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 have a, a very versatile uh, a, a, a employees and everything. Do a lot of things, and we do like this in the morning and like that. They are doing it for years. The same thing. It's it's something. Extraordinary, for sure. Gadi Ilan is head of logistics. I would call you a director of operations. It's it's the same. Either yeah. one, right? Here at <laughs> yeah. Shari Tzedek Medical Everything. Center. Tadaraba, thank you so much for joining us have today. Have a good day. No problem. Wonderful Anytime. to have you on. Thank you. I am fascinated by the departments that you're in charge of, frankly, uh, to say the least. Wrapping things up at Shari Tzedek, we have people to thank. Our uh, engineer on this amazing journey has been Yoni Pollock. Uh, I want to thank Yoni and our chief engineer, ZK, and, of course, Egal Siegel, who was here earlier. I want to thank Audrey Gross and uh, Uri Schwartz. Uh, They have become amazing friends of ours and uh, have worked with our team over the last many years to put together shows like this. Uh, We met some amazing and incredible people today with great topics, and and we had the ability to highlight some uh, aspects and uh, departments of the hospital that we have not had a chance to speak about in the past. So a big thank you to Audrey. And um, like I said, once Audrey is informed by the New York office that we're coming, she circles the calendar and awaits us anxiously. Anybody who tells you otherwise is not telling you the truth. She awaits our, our arrival anxiously, especially when we're looking for a parking space and she wasn't informed that we have a car. But, <laughs> but she does await our arrival anxiously, and we thank her very, very much. Uh, a big thank you to Avrami Finkelstein in charge of our uh, studios here in Israel and for um, monitoring everything that we're doing from his home base in Beit Shemesh. And uh, I thank Miriam Wallach for producing yet another great show. And we are off to New York later today. And here's the schedule. Tomorrow, Tuesday, JM and the AM from New York City, our usual Manhattan location. Wednesday, we're in New York as well with our friends from the Haas concert, which is coming up Sunday night in New York City. And then on Thursday, we speak with our friends at Yeshiva University Men's Basketball who are doing something that's uh, unprecedented, and that is uh, they're on one of the most uh, amazing winning streaks in college basketball at this point and making us all very proud the way they represent both Yeshiva University and the Jewish people on and off the court. So we'll have a chance to speak with some of the players coming up on Thursday here at JM in the AM. Uh, and I want to thank everybody who made this uh, journey to Israel possible, in addition to the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem, our friends at World Mizrahi, our friends at Koran Publishers, our friends at the Inbal Hotel, and uh, all those who made our stay as uh, comfortable as, uh, as possible and have been a, um, uh, and have given us the opportunity to broadcast from Jerusalem um, during different times during the year. Achenu Israel and Achenu Mechem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. 
I want to thank those who commented on the app and um, and were in touch with us while we were on live during our three-hour presentation today. Big thank you to you. Um, I want to thank those who uh, were emailing us during our presentation as well between 6 and 9 Eastern Time. And I thank all of you for tuning in and being part of this amazing listening experience. Don't forget Mayor Weingarten is next. We'll have a lot to say regarding what happened um, uh, this week with the United States taking out the... Uh, uh, Iranian terror leader. We'll speak about that coming up. We'll have a um, analysis of what's happening with the Israeli elections and Bibi's ask of immunity. And um, he'll also commemorate Yoram Gaon's 80th birthday. After that, it's going to be, after further review with Yoni Pollock, an analysis of the most important events in America this week, weekend football. And, of course, at 11 o'clock, Novak now with Jake Novak. From Jerusalem, back in New York tomorrow, it's Nahum Siegel. Thanking you and reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.